0: And welcome to episode number 279 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in a mildly warm PTUK studio this week is my co-host, Sweltering Matt Smith. ha <laughs> ha!
1: That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's so yeah. hot. Bless yeah, him. It is quite. <laughs> thanks for <laughs> that. Yeah, it is quite warm, isn't it, at the moment? Uh, it's, uh, thankfully, it is not as warm as it was yesterday. No, that is, no. That is our only saving hey, grace. No, we, we
0: can we can confirm. We can confirm. We did hit here in East Anglia
1: thirty-seven degrees Celsius. Thirty-seven. I know. And in fact, in Cambridge is where we actually broke. The highest ever mm. temperature in the UK, wasn't it, at 37.8 yeah. thirty-seven point eight degrees. thirty seven It was definitely a warm one, and yeah. today has been much the
0: same. But last night, I will say, last night, um, I don't know if anyone was uh, flying in a commercial airline across the East Anglia uh, last night, but we did have one of the best oh, electrical I, yeah. storms that I think I've seen in a very very long time It lasted for a long while
1: uh, a couple of interesting things actually Uh, as as many of you know one of my friends is actually a a a meteorologist and uh, he's obsessed and goes to the states quite often storm storm chasing Mm. uh, and loves all his hurricanes and and stuff like that he's he was actually saying that the storm that we had last night was probably one of the best that Mm. he's ever seen because um, like, in the UK we don't get like the rolling thunder and lightning around right. us, do you know what I mean? Usually you just have a couple of claps and then it goes away. I that I, tell and that's you, I got, the got to the stage
0: it. last night where I literally thought I might as well turn all the lights off in the house because the lightning was just constantly... It was constant, yes, constant yes, lightning lightning. yeah. But, uh, no, that was yeah, good. Yeah,
1: actually, uh, before, we, before we talk to Armando, I, I want to mention a programme that started on BBC4 very recently... Uh, mm. have, have you have you watched
0: it? I've got it on my uh, my box to watch. At right. Home. Okay. Yes.
1: I mean, I mean, I, I I think you'll enjoy it, but not perhaps for the correct reasons. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I think that's the best way. it. Is Carol Vorderman on there? Uh, no, sadly not. Oh, I mean okay. Andy Peters, who is is a, a national treasure as far as uh, broadcasting is concerned. I mean you and I remember him from mm. the broom cupboard. He invented T four. Blah blah blah. Um, but yes, uh, Chris Griggs, I think, has, has mentioned it perfectly in the chat room there, saying anyone else enduring plane spotting live on BBC4. Oh, dear. Um, I mean, there was a big uh, revelation, I think, was it last night or the night before, where they discovered Flight Radar 24? <gasps> wow. I know. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. which let's be honest we've all been using for years you know so. and on that bombshell yes
0: absolutely um, <laughs> nev uh, can't be with us this week he is uh, working very hard uh, on yes. another project at the moment so yeah, uh, uh, apologies man. from nev but uh, he sends everyone his fondest of regards so uh, we hope you're having fun nev whatever you're doing with that paperwork type stuff <laughs> oh, I hate, but I hate. we I have hate paperwork. we have got someone joining us uh, well, actually, two people joining us from uh, across the pond at a very special event air show over at Oshkosh. Joining us this week, it's Armando and his gorgeous wife Meg.
2: Hey, everybody! This is Armando and Megan Carry on reporting live, <laughs> actually from EAA Air EAA
3: it, oh my gosh! And I'm ripping out the cord from his ears. <laughs> oh no! We're <laughs> such
2: a well old machine. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, yeah, Move along. Nothing to So we here. we are yeah. here at, at uh, Oshkosh Air Venture, and it's been uh, to steal a term from uh, the guys over at Opposing Bases. It is podcast cross-pollination because in the last three days we've met up with APG, Opposing Bases, Airplane Geeks, Flying Down Under, uh, Flying in Life. Uh, uh, basically, every av- aviation podcast out there, we all met up at the APG RV and just hung out and had some beverages in the sweltering Wisconsin heat. And, and it's and, just been a
1: great um, time. Unfortunately, of course, you are there flying the flag for PTUK. I'm pleased to say. That's correct.
2: Uh, Pip, Al, and I had to fight for it, but we did get the media credentials, and my lovely bride did get some media credentials. So he's been doing all
4: the camera
1: work very good very good yeah. this is what we like to hear now uh, we've got a couple of uh special uh, videos that we're going to play later on in the show because we're going to let you uh get on with your your uh your uh, your time there uh how much longer is left so it, it finishes uh tomorrow is it
2: yeah so we've got uh friday and saturday left uh we we arrived on sunday afternoon and our first day was on monday and and it, it is a lot of walking. This is our first Oshkosh uh, and it's just amazing. Every day we felt like we covered maybe a 10th of the show and they're just beautiful airplanes to look at. But more importantly, it's meeting up with people and getting a chance to talk to all of these people involved in aviation and some really, really interesting aircraft and innovators. Uh, last night we were at the Lance Air dinner where somebody's pushing a home built aircraft over the 400 mile per hour mark. Uh, it's just what an amazing place to see aviation and, and the roots of aviation with some, some people that are really coming up with some creative things.
1: Yeah.
3: And I might add, uh, because I'm not really, I'm kind of a, an aside yeah. in you're, the aviation you're, you're community. The, you're
1: there under duress, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> well, so I've, I've had my eyes open, and I think a, a lot of this has been really inspiring for me as a woman. There's been a lot of women in aviation talks there's been a lot we've done interviews with women in aviation and they're just super inspiring so uh i am walking away with a lot of new understanding about aviation and airplanes and uh it's been really great
2: yeah Yeah. and that's that point right that you can take somebody that's new to aviation and they walk away from air venture with a a new interest and a new love for aviation so
1: fantastic that being said we
2: got some great interviews coming up with miss amanda simpson from airbus a, a, a vice president of airbus americas we've got uh, a lovely couple from new zealand that is flying across the world in a Comanche. that's a lot of water for a Comanche, but they're doing it uh, and then in the next few weeks we'll have captain tammy joe schultz from southwest airlines 1380 we had a great uh, short but really good interview with her also just an inspiring story um, what I really loved about it, we'll talk about it more, but she, she right off the bat included her first officer. She said, Darren and I handled that and as soon as the emergency popped up. So I, I love it when captains that are thrust into the limelight like that for, for whatever reason uh, immediately recognize that it's not about them, it's, a, it's about an entire crew handling an adverse situation. So we had a really, really good time, just a wonderful person, really approachable. So okay. good interviews, great great people here at Oshkosh.
3: Good food, cheese curds everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> and ice yeah. cream. Yeah, yeah. we did.
1: Quite, we've done really well. We've got like ten minutes in without mentioning food. I think that's a real result. I mean, obviously, yeah. everybody's everybody's desperate to know how long was it before our, before um, um, Captain oh, Al. Uh, Captain Al had his first ice cream. How how long was it?
3: Oh, we, I don't know.
2: Probably getting off the airplane, I imagine. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: that, that, that is true. All right, look, look, guys, we're going to let you go get back to your, your uh, oshkoshing. Thank you so much well, for joining us uh, uh, at the start of the show there. And uh, anything in particular you're hoping to go and see today?
2: Uh, I, th- I think we're going to try to hit the museum. We've been walking the grounds, uh, and we haven't seen the cool. EAA Museum is a great indoor activity um, but I think that's that's pretty much the plan today and then this evening we're gonna see some of the stole demos the short takeoff and landing demos
1: fantastic oh, we'll, we'll-
3: maybe more fireworks there has been a couple <laughs> of well there's been one really enormous fireworks show they do a night air show where the airplanes have I guess LED lights all over the oh, outside wow. of I don't know some lighting on the outside of them And then they have fire, I don't know the technical terms, fire shooting out the back of the airplanes, and they have fireworks coming out (laughs) of the airplanes in the sky. And then on top of that, all there's fireworks and these big explosions on the ground. It's pretty insane. They're doing that again, I think, tonight or tomorrow tomorrow night. So we'll probably catch that again.
1: Fantastic. Well, look, enjoy the rest of your time uh, there, fun. guys. And we can't wait to hear all about it next week. <laughs> Make sure you're back next week. Next it week looks and...
3: a lot like your background. Yeah, actually. absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, actually, the, pic- the picture on our well, background, I should just say, is actually from uh, Riyadh, uh, believe it or not. So, obviously, last weekend was the Riyadh uh, air show, and uh, that was taken by... Um, what are you doing, Carlos? <laughs> what, <laughs> what is that?
5: So, I think oh, and I've got a, a suggestion for them. Oh, cool. if yeah. You're looking, yeah, if you're looking for a cooler place at Oshkosh, uh, head on down to the seaplane base. Oh, that's a really yeah. fun yeah, well, area, very pastoral, not crowded. It, it's really enjoyable. I think you'll find that's a, a special little hidden treasure at Oshkosh. Hey, Perfect. hey, Matt, now
2: that the cat's out of the bag and, and we've, we've heard the voice, I just want to say, uh, Max, you know, first of all, thanks for having me over at the Airplane Geeks a couple months ago. Of it course. Was, uh, great to be on that, but I am a personal fan of Max. Scott, I've had your training materials for over a decade, really, when we transitioned to the, to the Garmin products and the airplanes that I fly, and uh, you're one of those podcasts that I do manage to keep up on. So uh, <laughs> Great. Early, early plug for Aviation News Talk. I'm, I'm a huge fan, Max, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm not able to stay for the rest of the show. Great to talk to
1: you. There we go. All right, then Armando. Thanks uh, Armando. Armando Megan, Take we'll care you, Meg. We'll let you get, uh, we'll get away and we'll hopefully see you next week. Take care Meg. Ma- bye. Bye bye. Take care guys. Bye. Guys.
2: bye.
0: So, uh, you heard then we have got uh, a very special co-host joining us on the uh, show this week or co- guest co-host on the show this week. So, uh, joining us then this week uh, as uh, Those of you who follow us on Facebook will know we have got Max Trescott, who uh, is the 2008 National CFR of the Year, selected to represent all 96,000 flight instructors in the U.S. He's written two books, including Max Trescott's G1000 and Perspective Glass Cockpit Handbook. He lives in the San Francisco Bay Area and is a Cirrus Platinum CSIP instructor. He teaches full-time in Cirrus aircraft and he recently finished his typewriting in the Cirrus SS. F-50 Vision Jet. Uh, Don't forget you can hear him talking about General Aviation and Cirrus Aircraft every week on his Aviation News Talk podcast and also not forgetting the
5: Airplane Geeks podcast. So welcome onto the show, Max Trescott. Hey, thanks so much for having me here. got to tell you, it's been a typical California morning for me already here. I mean, I went surfing and then went to my Pilates <laughs> class, and this afternoon I'm having my plastic surgery. So, you know, it's just <laughs> a normal California day here. <laughs> but, yeah, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. Perfect, perfectly normal day. Yes, and is
0: it a case of halfway through the day, Max, are you going to um, go up in the Cirrus and just pull that little red handle?
5: <laughs> you know, if people ask me if I have pulled the handle, and the answer is yes, I have. In the simulator! Uh, wow. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, brilliant, yeah.
1: No,
0: it, it's very costly when you pull that red handle, Matt. Why, what does it do? It releases a parachute. Oh! Yes. Oh,
5: okay, yeah. right. Yeah. whole you've... airplane. Parachute, yep.
0: Yeah. Comes on down. It's one of the neat features of the Cirrus.
5: Well, I, I, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds very practical. It's I very, very good. It yeah. saved many lives as well. As,
1: as a nervous flyer, I find that very comforting.
5: I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's where we headed this afternoon. In fact, I swapped my day around here. I uh, originally had a flight scheduled this time, so switched that to the wow. afternoon. Wow. And I had not planned to be at air Venture. I've been there about a dozen times, but uh, just had some projects I need to catch up on this week, so I, just, I decided to stay home this time. Fantastic. So
0: we're going to welcome on to the show all the chat room viewers this week as well who are watching the show live. We've got uh, Milo joining us, Auntie Liz, Mashers here, Chris Griggs, uh, Neil Lamwarn, hello to you, Neil. Uh, we've got Evan Shu. hello to you, Evan. Tony S, uh, I'm scrolling down the list, Lane Street. Okay, so I miss anyone. Have I missed <laughs> anyone? I always miss someone. Yeah, so for everyone who's joined us, it's a very us, dangerous game. It's to do a very that, really. dangerous game. Yeah, I know.
1: I, I, I'd be inclined to. I sort try of and name it. check everyone. <laughs> so it is uh, ah. the
0: 26th of July, and it's just coming up to uh, half past. Oh, actually, 20 past seven here yeah. in the UK. So uh, on a very warm evening. It's, uh, uh,
1: yeah, it's warm. I'll give you
0: that. Yeah. It's safe to say we do have the fan on full blast behind <laughs> us. So if you can hear the fan running, it's, it's, it's
1: because, because we're us. not used to it, are we? I no. mean, it's, you know, I mean, it, here in the UK, like sort of 15, uh, 16 degrees is is you know a bit tropical for us
0: you know so, i bet max has got ac in his room <laughs>
5: <laughs> you know um for many years uh, the houses in my neighborhood had no air conditioning and all of us started adding it in the last uh, few years so yeah we have air conditioning in the house now um used to be uh, you know you really didn't need it except a couple of days a year and yeah. eh, now we need it a little more often Yeah, we have a similar problem here, I think.
0: (laughs) So coming up in tonight's show, obviously we've got loads of news and stuff to get through at the top of the show. And then later on the show, as Armando said a moment ago, we've got uh, his first interview from Oshkosh, uh, which is with Amanda Simpson, who is the vice president for research and technology at Airbus Americas. And uh, she was also formerly uh, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Operational Energy. So that's coming up later. And we've also got another short little interview that uh, Amanda done as well uh, with a Canadian couple, I think, isn't that? Who are Oshkosh as well, who, who are doing some sort of cross uh, cross-country flight yeah, so, so, so as
1: i say very oshkosh heavy tonight yes. i'm delighted to say that our man in the field He's has done been well working well bless him I so am. yeah looking forward to playing those out shortly but uh, we probably ought to do some aviation yes, news yes let's go ready? so
0: we're gonna start the show then as we do each week we'll rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the uk so if you are ready Merd, born ready and if you're ready max ready from the west let's go off this week's first news story on the simpleflying.com website, this one, and the headline, and I remember reading about this a few years back, this is um, how Delta employees brought the airline a Boeing 767. That's nice of them isn't it? <laughs> so uh, the first Boeing 767 for Delta was a special, air, a special aircraft for the airline. In fact Delta's employees brought the aircraft for Delta as a gesture of appreciation. When the first Boeing 767 was delivered in 1982 Delta faced some tough times. However their employees bound together and sought uh, to keep Delta flying for years to come. Uh, The uh, Delta Flight Museum website has a page dedicated to the 767. The original effort involved much tenacity and ambition from three Delta flight attendants. At the end of their fundraising drive, Delta's employees raised $30 million to finance the new aircraft. Finally, on the 15th of December 1982, 7,000 employees gathered at the celebration to christen ship 102. The Boeing 767-200 was named the Spirit of Delta and came at a time of financial headwinds for the carrier. For the first time in 35 years, Delta has posted a net loss. At the time, the airline industry uh, was struggling due to a weak economy and fuel prices. Beyond that, the airline deregulation created a competitive market. and Delta's employees, however, were willing to let the airline fail. So after its ceremony, the 767 flew their inaugural service, uh, so the aircraft itself from Delta's main hub in Atlanta to Tampa, Florida. Uh, The leisure route was a huge market for Delta and still is to this day. Currently, Delta flies uh, a Boeing 767-300ER from Tampa on transatlantic flights uh, to KIM's hub in Amsterdam. So uh, at the end of Ship 102's life, the aircraft had seen many phases of Delta. The aircraft was painted in special liveries. It included the celebration of the 1996 Olympics held in Atlanta. And in addition, 2004, the spirit of Delta flew in the 75th anniversary livery. Uh, this aircraft was a natural choice to receive the special livery. And at the end of its service life, Uh, The time came for retirement. In February 2006, the Spirit of Delta left service after 70,697 hours in the air. This comprised of 34,389 trip cycles. Wow. And after the farewell tour, the Spirit of Delta was ready to receive a new life as a showpiece at Delta's museum. Wow. Isn't that a nice story? Yeah. I think it's quite good though, the employees actually brought, you know, chipped together and brought, I mean, you know, imagine if your employees or, you know, where you work chipped together and brought you a coach. Well, I mean, <laughs> nice. yeah,
1: I mean, you know, I mean, I, there, there are only two of us who, who, <laughs> yeah. who are full-time drivers. I mean, that, so that, you know, uh, with, with the amount of people they employ, then, you know, a pound doesn't seem so bad, does it? But, uh, you know, if, you, if you've got to
5: chip in, you know, £125,000 mm. each. Have you, uh, have you seen this
0: aircraft <laughs> up close, Max?
5: No, I hadn't, but I was just kind of wondering, you know, how do how do we square this with uh, what happened after nine eleven, where most of the airlines, all the salaries were cut and people were laid off, mm, it's like yeah, a yeah. nice thank you for buying us an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> no.
1: that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a nice gesture, I suppose. That's the what to them. I guess they're just desperate for their airline to continue to succeed. Mm, I suppose, Because oh, yeah, yeah. it's nothing worse than being out of work. We all know that.
0: And the best be- the best thing is as well. Obviously, this aircraft is still in one piece at a museum, so that's yeah, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. So. So moving on to the next story, and Matt, as always for you, it. Uh it's a bit of a worrying Ryanair story, especially mm. in our current weather.
1: Well, let's let's let's. Uh, I'm always a bit sceptical with some of these stories, so let's let's work our way through the details, shall we? It's on themetro.co.uk, uh, which is the free newspaper that they give away on the underground in London, and the headline is Ryanair passengers anger at having to pay for water on a delayed flight. So Ryanair passengers have been left raging after having to pay for water while being stuck on a delayed plane amid scorching temperatures. Uh, Stephen. Ramsey was one of many who claimed he waited on the runway for an hour and a half while temperatures soared to a whopping 30 degrees. Uh, the passenger posted a photo on Facebook and was outraged at having to pay 3 euros or £2.67, although actually I'm going to query that because if it's 3 euros <laughs> if you're buying it on the plane in Stirling it is also £3 isn't it because that's what they normally do uh, for 500ml bottles of water on the flight on the 13th of July Stephen said that he thought it was wrong that a fundamental need. Such as water was being monetized on the flight leaving Marseille for Manchester. Although the flying, the, although the flyer said staff were very professional and sympathetic, he said that he was told he wasn't the it wasn't the company's policy to hand out free water even in hot conditions. Stephen wrote on Facebook: "My flight has been sat on the tarmac for 30 plus in 30 uh, in plus 30 degree heat for almost two hours. It's incredibly hot and wits are fraying. Uh, 90 minutes since we were due to depart and we were." told we can purchase 500ml bottles of water for 3 euros. I have pointed out to staff that water should not uh, should be offered, not purchased, and was told that it was not Ryanair's policy to offer free water under these circumstances. The uh, the staff have been very professional and sympathetic, but their hands are tied. Uh, they too must purchase extra water. Water is a fundamental human need and not something that ought to be monetised. I am pretty raging, as are my fellow passengers. Now, I suppose um are all
0: delayed. See- surely, you know, in the in the situation it like is, the aircraft was delayed, so surely it should be the airline's.
1: Nice thing to give passengers free yeah, water. You, you are, but this is Ryan Air, mm-hmm. all right. I mean, that's not something that they bottled water, for God's sake. No, I know, but uh, I mean, the, the thing is, is like, is there a reason why, given the temperature, that they weren't plugged into a ground power unit?
0: Yeah, it does seem funny they didn't have the
1: AC running.
0: Yeah, Ma- Max, any thoughts?
5: Yeah, I, I just want to mention, I think the O'Leary family has uh, been, you know, uh, causing uh, news stories for a long, long time. I want to bring this one up you're probably not aware of. The Great Chicago Fire in 1871 was uh, caused by Mrs. O'Leary's cow who kicked over a lantern. Wow, and okay. hundred thousand people were homeless. So I just want to tell you, there's, there's an O'Leary legacy. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. Yeah, used to uh, used to causing havoc. I think. But all
0: all the times I've read stories like this, where you've had airlines that have been delayed, taken off, they've always given the the passengers free drink, not Ryanair, but other you know what airlines. on
1: the plane rather yeah, than yeah, in yeah. the because yeah. I mean I've had it happen in the terminal where, where I've been offered sort of free free food and yeah. drink, but uh, I must admit I've never been offered it on a plane. Um, I mean, I suppose
0: most U.S. airlines, Max, you you get the sort of drink complimentary anyway, even in economy.
5: Um, yes, I think most of the time uh, the drinks are free. Um, oh, by the way, I was not kidding about the Chicago fire. That was not made up. That really did happen, and that really was the, the yeah, source. It first.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, this is, yeah, I, I don't know. Is it, a lot of this, you know, I, I do worry that a lot of this is just literally um, stories that they almost release for free publicity. Because, I mean, <laughs> O'Leary will be the first to admit that, uh, you know, All any publicity is good publicity, as far as he's concerned. Can I say
0: the water's not chilled either? Look, right. I wouldn't wouldn't be paying for that water. They've got it. Just saying. Just saying. So moving on to uh, to the next story, Max. This one is on the uh, BBC News uh, website.
5: Well, I'm just thinking there's a coincidence here uh, that says Boeing Boeing warns it may stop 737 Max production. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh, the pun- is that why I'm, re- that why yeah, I'm reading okay, this story? Okay, all right, you've yeah, got me.
1: The pun game is strong with this one, I warn <laughs> you in advance.
5: <laughs> all right, good. Well, the story says Boeing is warning that it might have to halt production of the beloved 737 MAX if grounding continues much longer. They reported their largest ever quarterly loss of $3.4 billion on Wednesday for the quarter due to the troubled plane. And I will add parenthetically, I suspect there are going to be more losses in subsequent quarters as well. Uh, If hurdles with regulators worldwide continue, Boeing said it would consider reducing or shutting down protection of the 737 MAX entirely. Our Boeing boss, Dennis Muhlenberg, is confident the plane will be back in the air by October. He said, as our efforts to support the 737 MAX's safe return to service continue, we will continue to assess our production plans. To our estimate of the anticipated return to service change, we might need to consider possible further rate reductions or other options, including a temporary shutdown of MAX production. (laughs) Uh, Boeing's entire fleet of the 737 MAX was grounded in March. Of course, we're familiar with the airline crashes that occurred, the Ethiopian Airlines flight, and the Lion Air crash, which uh, collectively killed over. 300 people. Uh, as investigations continue, Boeing has been working on fixes for the MCAS anti-stall flight control software and other issues identified. Mr. Muhlenberg said the plan has been hold, the plane maker has been holding weekly technical calls with operators of 73 Max while the modified software had so far been tested in 225 simulator sessions. Well, so uh, the costs continue to spiral. Uh, they reduced production from 52 aircraft to 42 aircraft per month. And there's an amazing picture here in this article that shows, I'm guessing, 50 airliners all stored uh, at Boeing Field. Uh, So you can imagine that uh, since they're not able to ship any, they're kind of stacking up in the parking lot. Uh, Am
0: I right in thinking, Max, that if they do shut the production line right down, it would be not very good for Boeing?
5: No, I think that's going to be uh, tough in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, because it always takes time to restart a production line. They'll probably have to lay off workers. They probably won't get all of those workers back by the time they restart. So yeah, it's it's a bad deal for uh, for everyone. And uh, I'll just add that I will be adding my lawsuits shortly as well. I, I really hate the way they've been ruining my brand name. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 dragging you through the mud unnecessarily, yeah. aren't they? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it must
0: be tough on the geek show, you know. You've got two Maxes
5: there. Well, know, that's true. On yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, They're both raging. Both uh, raging. Uh, the way
1: that this has been done.
5: The, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I must say, I never get confused as to which Max is which, but the other people do.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that is true.
0: So the next story is um, one that normally would be going to uh, to NEV but uh, I'll, I'll have that one this week so yes, the, uh, the, web, the, new web, the new website this one the pointsguy.co.uk never heard of that one so it's good news for uh, for BA and it's also good news for me and NEV who fingers crossed hopefully touch wood touch wood scratch my head will be flying on this aircraft in November so uh, the day has finally come for BA to take delivery of their first A350 uh, so the aircraft was, del- or were delivered, uh, or was delivered today, uh, the 26th of July, and it received its first A350-1000 from Toulouse. Registered as Golf X-Ray Whiskey Bravo Alpha, the A350 making its way to London Heathrow on Friday, Uh, Today is the first of 18 of the aircraft on order. Uh, On Thursday BA's PR team released a teaser video of the aircraft leaving the hangar. The aircraft is expected to land uh, Heathrow, uh, well it landed at Heathrow around 2pm today and uh, people who were following this on Flightrider24 probably posted many pictures on social media I expect. So the A350 represents a brand new era for BA. Inside, passengers can expect the biggest update of the carrier's club world-class business-class product in decades. The carrier's new club suite product will uh, be configured in a one-to-one setup with the highlight of the suite being a door. So the A350 will feature 56 seats in Club Suite, 56 seats in World Traveller Plus which is where me and Nev will be sitting and 219 seats in Economy Uh, notably missing on the A350s is BA's first cabin. Initially the 350s will fly short haul between London and Madrid uh, for crew to familiarize themselves with the new aircraft and new products. And then as of the 2nd of September, the aircraft will fly to Dubai. Yay! <laughs> by the end of the year, BA will have four A350s in their fleet. The introduction of the A350 into service means that the end of the road is near for the Queen of the Skies the BA's A747s, uh, which they're expecting to be fully retired from the fleet by 2022. And uh, well, it is to be sad when they get rid of the seven fours, but it's great to see that um, BA have got the three the three fifty one thousand. And uh, I must say that there's always a picture there, uh, which it looks quite nice, I will say. And uh, yeah, looking forward to sampling the three fifty later on this year. Will uh, I'm sure me and Neville will provide a suitable passenger experience. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. Have you um have you sampled the three fifty yet, Max? No, afraid not. Oh, damn. None of the uh, airlines over in the U.S. brought these yet, do you know? Uh,
5: you know, the last cool thing I flew was when I went to Australia last year, and that was uh, one of their 747s, and that was just so much fun. A BA 747? Uh, no, that was a uh, Qantas. Oh, Qantas still, one, okay. Yep, they had a few of them still in service. I think they're just about gone now. No, oh, such a shame. But, yes,
0: hopefully, fingers crossed, as long as I'm just... Me and Nev are literally watching the... the um, the actual flight thing online to make sure they don't change this because they can swap and change these aircraft PA. well,
1: and of course uh, the the, the, the leg- not the legacy flights was it the uh, the special flights that they were talking about oh yeah the, yeah. Um, well, was it the 747s that were yeah. flying into Edinburgh yeah. and things like that and they cancelled them at the drop of a hat having sold all the tickets and, and all that kind of thing which as you can imagine went down like well the they might they, they could
0: change this to a 777 which is fine I won't be upset but I am hopefully looking forward to, to flying on the, the 350 right yeah okay yeah, okay. yeah, we'll have that in writing. I know. We? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, moving on to the next story, Matt, and a bit of a bit of a software kind of a, a techie. Type story for you on uh, the Register.
1: Yes, indeed. So this is to do with the this is the a- the A350, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, indeed. So this is on the A Register now, again. Another random site. I don't think I've seen before. Uh, software issue was, as Carlos says, Airbus A350 software bug forces airlines to turn planes off and on every 149 <laughs> hours. This is really comforting it's stuff. IT. Isn't it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Patch your darn metal bird, size EU aviation a- agent. So, some models of the Airbus A350 airliners still need to be hard rebooted after exactly 149 hours, despite warnings from the EU Aviation Safety Agency, the EASA, first issued back uh, uh, two years ago, they first issued this particular warning in a mandatory airworthiness directive, AD, reissued earlier this week, EASA urged operators to turn their A350s off off and on again to prevent partial or total loss of some avionics systems or functions. The revised AD effective from tomorrow, that was the 26th of July, which is today, uh, exempts only those uh, new A350-941s uh, which have had modifi- modified software preloaded on the production line. For all other A350 941s, operators need to completely power the airliner down before it reaches 149 hours of continuous power on time. Uh, concerningly, the original 2017 AD was brought about by in service events where a loss of communication occurred between some avionics systems and avionics networks. The impact of the failures ranged from redundancy loss to complete loss of specific function hosted on common remote data concentrator and core processing input-output modules. Uh, in layman's English, this means that prior to 2017 at least some A350s flying passengers were suffering unexplained failures of potential flight-critical digital systems. Airbus rival Boeing very publicly suffered from a similar time-related problem with its 787 Dreamliner back in 2015. A memory overflow bug was discovered that caused the 787 generators to shut themselves down after 248 days of control. Continual power on operation. A software counter in the generator's firmware, it was found, would overflow after that precise length of time. Uh, the register is aware that this is not the only software-related problem to have plagued the 787 during its early years. Well, I I won't uh, continue to read that. Isn't that that a bit of an old-school fix, though, Matt?
0: You know, um, can you fix my computer, please? Have you tried turning it on and off?
1: I mean, Windows 10 has less (laughs) issues than some of the uh, Microsoft uh, predecessors, (laughs) shall we say. I mean, many of us are old enough to remember Microsoft ME. Oh, blimey, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, which was essentially something that you had to... um, well throw away after a couple of days usually but uh, yeah it's uh, there's a
0: lot of worried people in the chat room wondering who has remembered to set the timer for 100,
1: 149 hours well yeah this is it i mean by the sound of it to be fair by the sound of it it you know it's it's you know the plane isn't dropping out of the sky it's <laughs> no. just you're losing some you know important data shall we say but uh, <laughs> what do you yeah. think
5: max <laughs> I'm just thinking if only Apple had partnered with, I'm sorry, Airbus had partnered with Apple and yes. not with Microsoft, you know, I, I think this probably would have worked out better.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, I could, I could not agree with you more, Max. Uh, it's, 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 I just it's, have
0: visions of having an Alexa on the flight deck and uh, saying, Alexa, could you set your uh, set a timer for 149 hours, please? Right,
5: <laughs> yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah. I mean, to be fair, the pilot could set it on his, on his phone, I suppose, <laughs> couldn't he, you know, ask Siri. Just
0: imagine halfway yeah. across the Atlantic. Your timer has released yeah. 149. Oh, flipping
1: heck, what do we do now? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Control-Alt-Delete.
1: Yeah, 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 I don't think you have to, those used shortcuts.
5: Used to be, is there a doctor on board? Now be, is there an IT professional on yeah, board? Please yeah. come. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there we go. Anyone on Microsoft certified professional,
1: anyone on board, know what they're doing.
0: Yeah. Well, it'll be all right if they've got you on board, hey, man. I
1: mean, it's a worrying situation if my skills are able to sort out a problem on an aircraft, I find that very alarming. We'll give it, we'll give it a go. <laughs> oh, mind you, I'll be okay. Give it a go? We'll That's a... not a phrase I want to <laughs> hear when I'm in the air. <laughs> well, let's give it a go, shall we? Yeah. If we
0: get any trouble on in November, we'll, you know, Neve will be fine.
1: You know. right. Well, yeah, absolutely. No, you are taking the Neb, tech saw, with you. can you, you. sort yeah, that absolutely. out, please? Yeah. Just yeah. let him into the cockpit. He'll do yeah. a full reset. So, yes, a, a small part of me is thinking um, if, if they've managed to solve it in the newer variants, why are they not just wrapping? patching the firmware mm. on, on these older aircraft. I don't understand. I, I'm surprised that the, uh, the EASA is having to issue yet another directive to say, look, come on, guys. Um, what are you doing here? I mean, th- th- this is this, it just seems a bit odd. Why are they not just, you know, every time one comes in for service, sh- you know, half the time all you've got to do is plug in a USB <laughs> stick and it does half of it for you.
0: I'm just reading the chat room. Oh, no. Sorry. Right, um, okay. Neil Anything Lambert. that we can share with the group? Neil Landward <laughs> says, if they'd partnered with Apple, you'd only be able to use one engine and the plane would cost twice as much.
1: Hey, <laughs> now look.
0: Pony. Who needs more than one inch? Well, quite right, <laughs>
1: absolutely, yes, I'm with you, Max. Yes, absolutely. And
0: uh, Jenny in Rome, hello to you, Jenny. She says that's a very dramatic photo behind Carlos.
1: It is a very dramatic photo uh, behind Carlos, yes. And thank you to Jonathan Warner for sending that, sending that in. Yet, stop it. Sorry. I, every time you do something silly, I'm going to turn your camera off. <laughs> uh, anyway. So moving on <laughs> to the
0: next story, Max. This one uh, is a kind of interesting
5: concept. Yeah, it's got an interesting twist to it as well. So stick around till the end for the, uh, the twist. This comes from CNN Travel. So uh, it says European manufacturer Airbus. Now, So we got to question the story. U.S. company reporting on Airbus. So they may have an axe to grind here. Uh, European manufacturer Airbus has created a concept aircraft inspired by the natural feathers of eagles, hawks, and other aerial predators. The bird of prey concept unveiled by Liam Fox, U.K. Secretary of State for International Trade at the Royal International Air Task Tattoo Air Show on Friday. Fox tweeted his support for the project alongside a, pic- a video of the bird of prey which has a set of feathers on the tail and each wingtip. Now they don't say what those things are made of but you know, when you look at the photo you can see sure enough there are some feather-like things uh, on the aircraft. It says the theoretical design is for a hybrid electric turboprop aircraft According to a statement on the Airbus website, inspired by efficient mechanics of a bird, it has wing and tail structures that mimic those of a bird of prey while featuring individually controlled feathers that provide active flight control. The aircraft would be capable of carrying up to 80 passengers and would burn 30 to 50% less fuel than comparable aircraft in operation today. Now here's the rub. While the aircraft won't be built, oh, all right, so it's no. just a concept. Uh-huh. The aim of the project is to motivate the next generation of aeronautical engineers, or perhaps to confuse them altogether, according to Martin Aston, the senior manager at Airbus. Our bird of prey is designed to be an inspiration to young people and create a wow factor that will help them consider an exciting career in a crucially important aerospace sector. So, anyway, uh, fun little design. And when I first saw it, I thought, how on earth are they going to build this thing? And then, of course, you get to the end and you find out they're not.
1: They're not going I mean, a, a small part of me is really. Again, I was looking at this picture and thinking, if this was, if this was the 1st of April, <laughs> I, I, I'd be thinking <laughs> I think this it was some really kind good. of. No, don't get me wrong. <laughs> it, of course. It, it is cool. Don't get me wrong. But it's just like, literally, what's the. It's, you know, I mean, the whole feathers and stuff, uh, you know, they move you know, that's the whole idea. I mean, these look fairly fixed. I mean, I'm sure somebody knows what they're doing. Um, but, um, uh, what was, what what, I'm just wondering
0: how the rudder works. Um, the rudder. Well,
5: there isn't one. Right. Um,
1: Okay. Yeah. Kind it, of is that just cuz you know they're trying to make it like uh, yeah. you know
5: well I, I don't know about your birds over there in the uk but over here in the us our birds don't have rudders so that's good a good point <laughs> yeah no good point yeah mate.
1: see see what you see what you did there yeah absolutely <laughs> i just try to see if there's anything uh, i'm just trying to see if I'll I'll i can. tell you what they'll do they'll,
0: oh, oh. what they're going to do they're going to release this as an airfix model that's what i think they'll probably do there you just go, go. To, that's um,
1: right. it's just it's the little concept video oh, here we go. they're talking about look Ooh.
0: I mean, it, lo- it looks good.
1: Yeah, I mean, it looks um, exciting, doesn't it? You know. Oh, hello. No, wait, I'll him on there. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, essentially, it's just a, a, a huge amount of CGI currently. I mean, it's just like... Looks know. like
0: the A400M. Yeah. Um, A400M engines.
5: Apparently, the reason it's going to be so cost-effective fuel-wise, that thing runs on birdseed. Yeah. Uh. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes, I like it. Yes, inspired by nature, look. There we go. Anyway. No, no? okay, just me then. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Moving swiftly on.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, the uh, next uh, story we've got this week is on the awesome Aviation Herald website. you Ah, For those an who actual quality there, publication. Yes. Take yourselves over there. So this is on the AviationHerald.com. And uh, this is an accident that happened uh, on the 23rd of July at uh, Lagos. And... Uh, this was an airpiece, Boeing 737-300. Wow, that's quite an old bus or aircraft, I should say. <laughs> uh, performing flight P4-7191 from Port Harcourt to Lagos, Nigeria, with 133 passengers and six crew. Landed on Lagos's runway 18 right, around 1120 uh, local. And 1020 uh, Zulu, but uh, suffered a hard touchdown, causing both nose wheels to separate from Golf. the nose gear strut. Look at that. The aircraft it. Look skidded it. to a halt on the runway. <laughs> Uh, on main wheels and the rest of the nose gear strut and there was one minor injury. The aircraft sustained substantial damage as did the runway. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So Nigeria's Accident Investigation Board have opened an investigation to the occurrence stating that the aircraft nose wheels collapsed on landing uh, on runway 18 right. There was one minor injury, as we said. The airline reported that due to a sudden weather change the captain requested a longer international runway rather than a domestic runway. After landing safely while attempting to turn off the runway the nose gear developed a problem and partially collapsed well as you can see the pictures there on there on there there's uh, not a lot left of uh, that nose wheel gear that's for sure um most of it's laying in the grass i think there's a wheel there. yeah i think i think it's
1: safe to say yeah yeah
0: um i mean the aircraft had obviously landed it was uh, as it says it was taxiing so i mean it's just as well this didn't happen you know just after the aircraft had touched down any thoughts, Max? Apart from the fact this aircraft is ancient.
5: No, not really. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't look good. I don't know why. No, I, was, I. think
0: I. I did look this one up on the uh, Air Fleet's um, thing. I think this was twenty. Yeah, twenty-one years old. This aircraft. Wow. Okay. So yeah, it's fa- fairly old. Fairly old.
1: Yeah, which it, But I mean, that that isn't going to be a reason as to why it's why this has occurred. I think this is it? probably I a mean, case of
0: a bit of rough ground and. Yeah these aren't built for off-road use uh, right days. okay yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: that's, so that's, that's one way of putting it yeah. now
0: the next story matt i chose this one especially for you because mm. i think that um, why is
1: it my heart sinks i every think time you that, say that. that as <laughs> as the
0: person you are for flying you you would have appreciated this particular airline's uh oh, tact
1: right okay all right so it's the ifl science is the website iflscience.com and the headline is airline tweets the safest place in a plane to sit in case of a Crash." <laughs> Right, okay. And what we presume was an ill-judged crack at gallows humour. A Dutch airline tweeted on Wednesday, the seats least likely to survive in the case of an airplane crash. The tweet was, I don't want to read this story anymore. The tweet was uh, posted from KLM's regional Twitter account based in India in response to a trivia question the Washington Post Reports It was taken down just 12 hours later and replaced with an apology, saying the post was based on a publicly available aviation fact and isn't a KLM opinion. (laughs) Right, yeah, I bet. Uh, It was never our intention to hurt anyone's sentiments. The original tweet used information based on an investigation conducted by Time magazine in 2015, itself based on numbers recorded in the Federal Aviation Administration's CSRTG aircraft accident database which found slight differences in survival rates depending on seat location. It also included a graphic of a single seat atop a white cloud with the message seats at the back are the safest. Uh, While it is true the study reported lower fatalities uh, in the rear, 32% to be precise, than either in the middle at 39% or the front 38% of the plane. The uh, results were based on just 17 crashes between 1985 and 2000. Fortunately, plane crashes are so rare, and even rarer today than in 2000, that there just isn't very much data to pull them from. Well, that's comforting. I'm going to stop reading that story, Carlos. It's stressing it's a me bit, out. It's yeah. not, the,
0: not the tweet you really want to see from an airline. It's not. Um,
1: especially if it was one of those where I had in flight Wi-Fi and I found it whilst I was in the air that would definitely I mean it's,
0: it's almost as bad as yeah. kind of having a channel on uh, on board the IFE of you oh, know, air crash investigation series yeah I know
1: <laughs> tell me about it yeah that's 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 my idea of I mean for, for me I would love yeah. it I would yeah, absolutely
0: but, love know, you're it not <laughs> you're not <laughs> no. normal you're not normal spend yeah. many an evening watching air crash investigation yes but
1: not <laughs> whilst in the air it's what's up Max <laughs>
5: well i I have a different take on the story. I think the safest seat is up front in first class that we get on and off before the fights break out
1: Good point <laughs> yeah, good point, good point well made and that one to be honest with you in, in first class you 're probably so suzzled you don't care i, I, I there is that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You'd be I, a little bit more relaxed about the whole thing, certainly. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, they uh, did they did apologise on Twitter though, Yeah, though, absolutely. Tweets, yeah, so. yeah, I I I guess it was just meant as a bit of harmless fun. I was just you can't <laughs> don't You just, fun <laughs> well, you just can't judge well I, I think it was probably tweeted <laughs> uh, with you know wait, yeah. in jest. But I mean it this isn't something that you you know, this isn't something people are always gonna be a bit overly sensitive about a plane crashing, aren't they? Yeah. With good reason, let's be yeah. honest.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Max uh, the next story for you is on our favorite uh, news feed for aviation.
5: Well you you've, you've got a you know a double a double whammy here not only is it Ryanair but it's also about the 737 Max. So oh, no. <laughs> <You could.
0: laughs> oh no. This is an update I think on a story we oh, covered, is it? Uh, yeah a
5: few weeks ago. Right okay. Yep, yep. pretty funny this comes from flightglobal flightglobal.com and I know you gave me the story because new name for Ryanair 737 Max is not actually new. While several media reports are claiming that Ryanair has rebranded the Boeing 737 MAX in the aftermath of the re-engine type's grounding, the chosen 737-8200 designation is not new. Photos circulating on social media purport show Ryanair 737 MAX 8 uh, with MAX name no longer on the nose, possibly a response to perceptions that the MAX brand is tainted by poor publicity after the fleet was grounded five months ago aircraft instead carries the identity 737 8200. Although the switch is notable, the name, contrary to a number of reports, is not a new designation for the aircraft and actually predates both the max grounding and the two fatal accidents. Uh, EASA has been referring to the 737, oh I'm sorry, it is no, yeah, uh, European Union Aviation Safety Agency, that's EASA with an extra U in the middle, uh, has been referring to the 737 8200 in documents such as its 2015 annual activity report, almost a year before the first 737 max delivery. Designation has frequently been included in U.S. federal regulatory filings from Boeing and the FAA since at least early 2017. And they just go on to show some diagrams of you know, different versions of the 737-8200. Anyway, I think the, uh, the best comment I've seen in the chat room, was from Neil, who said that they are rebranded the 737 Trescott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you want to put your name to that, though? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and in yeah, the following yeah, headlines I, will be
0: Max Trescott becomes multi billionaire. Right. Yeah, okay. It, okay it, yeah.
5: It, it, as I responded to Neil in the chat room, I said that this way I'm going to be able to double the payments that I get from Boeing right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is true.
5: That is a, that is a good God, point. The man's a man's worth fortune. <laughs> yeah. We've got a
1: billionaire yeah. on the show, Max. Absolutely. we will have by That's the right. end of the show, by the sound of it. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) So next
0: story is on AIN Online and uh, sad news because we were looking forward to this one uh, coming out soon. This is uh, the Boeing 777X first delivery uh, or first flight, I should say, delayed until 2020. So Boeing confirmed Wednesday this week that it's moved the target for the first flight of the 777X to early next year. From the second half of 2019, following consultations with engine maker General Electrics, whose uh, new GE9X continues to suffer delays, while the engine company redesigns a state hall in the front part of the compressor that has shown more wear than anticipated during testing. Speaking during the uh, company's second quarter earnings call on Wednesday, Boeing CEO Dennis Muhlenberg uh, said schedules still call for first delivery by the end of 2020, while hedging somewhat on the certainty of the timeline. We know there is clear pressure on that schedule, he conceded. The company believes that it can hold 777 delivery rates at 3.5 aircraft per month. How can you deliver a half of an aircraft? I don't really want that one, I don't. Well, you know, I mean, just like miss off the wings. Mm. Mm. Uh, despite this uh, schedule slip by maintaining rates of the 777 300ER and 777 freighter, uh, he said that we're seeing continued demand for the 777 particularly around the freighter market so we're feathering in uh, with that in with the current revised schedule and really that's an opportunity to meet the demands of our customers but minimize the financial impact on us said the Boeing CFO Greg Smith. Muhlenberg meanwhile expressed satisfaction with the development uh, headway Boeing has made with the rest of the 777X. He said that our airplanes On the airplane side of the effort we've been very pleased with the progress said Muhlenberg and uh, who noted also that over the last quarter the company had completed final 777X gauntlet tests including airplane level systems integration trials in the factory and low and high speed taxi tests calling the 777X one of the cleanest development programs that we've ever seen. Muhlenberg nevertheless expressed disappointment in the engine disruption and GE's working through that challenge and getting their arms around a precise schedule for recovery, he noted. He said that uh, we'll be proceeding through the engine testing that uh, solution becomes clear. The issue involving the compressor component Uh, surfaced a little more than three weeks before the start of the June Paris air show while engineers ran the engines outside its normal operating envelope during block testing. Well it's a shame I was hoping to see this one uh, flying later on this year on its first test flights and I'm really looking forward as well to seeing those um, folding wingtips because I'd like to see those uh, working uh, in action but uh, uh, are you a big fan of the uh, 777 uh, Max?
5: Oh, absolutely! You know, it's fun watching them uh, zip overhead. Uh, the approach, uh, the arrivals to San Francisco, go right smack over Palo Alto Airport where I'm teaching. So often look up overhead, and they pass overhead at four thousand. So yeah, fun to see them go by.
0: So Matt, next story, and oh, pick this one especially for you again. You'll be gutted though when you read the headline because uh, this, this story was, um, I think, this was made for an airline that you would love to uh, to fly on.
1: Right. Okay, uh, I mean the picture is filling me with dread. I'm not going to lie. So this <laughs> is on the telegraph.co.uk, yeah. and the headline is: Disney denies rumours of a US airline launch. Oh, Disney has denied reports it is planning to launch its own airline in the US. With spokes with a spokesperson telling the Telegraph travel there is no truth at all in the rumours. Specialist news site justdisney.com this month. Published a now deleted report speculating that branded planes would ferry guests in and out of Orlando, Florida, home of its Walt Disneyland world, uh, the most visited holiday resort on the planet, to airports including Detroit, Chicago, uh, New York, uh, Lagardier, uh, and Los Angeles International. It also said uh, that the Disney company was poised. Uh, to start acquiring small regional carriers in 2021. That's a shame. Yeah, Yeah. it is a bit. Wouldn't you
0: love to see an airline, a Disney... I mean, uh, surely, MRI.
1: surely this was where perhaps, I mean, because I think Virgin have done something similar mm. in the past, haven't they? Where they've, they've done, um, like, something to, um, uh, what's, is it, what's the, the, the Universal Studios, haven't yeah, they? Yeah. They've done something similar, haven't they, where they've done a, uh, a sort of flight. And in fact, actually, they did something, um, do you remember Saturday Night Takeaway here in the UK? Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. did a flight out, they did a, it was a Virgin Atlantic plane yeah. that was rebranded, that took everybody out to, 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 Disney, World. to, to Disney World. So, yeah. I mean, it's not, in, it's not unusual. For a plane to be sort of especially Especially most of the stuff that they're doing here, where it's basically just the what do they call the, the head, the, the oh, seat, the um, headrest head 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 covers. covers. Yeah. Um, you know, essentially all they've done is change those. So, I mean, it's you know, and these will just be vinyl stickers, won't they? That, Don't you that think it will be a the luggage bins,
0: Disney Air and having an airline, Disney Airline with all those kids on board.
1: I mean, my idea of <laughs> actual hell. Uh, if I'm honest, I can't think of anything uh, more frightening. But you deal with
0: this on a daily basis, Matt. That's it, why I chose Yeah, this I know. Girlfriend. But
1: yeah, I'm also, if you're ever, uh, if you're ever with me uh, and there are children on board, I'm also incredibly mean. Uh, Stop, <laughs> <laughs> children! <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. They're making too much noise. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I say, I, th- I, th- I think there was. It's probably that um, Delta or someone like that had maybe got a carriage deal to do a few specialist mm. flights, maybe by rebranding one of their planes, and perhaps it'd it's be, all got a bit easy. out of out of hand i mean it's uh it's the it, i i mean max i can't see disney sort of spending this this kind of money to launch their own airline surely you
5: know i think there's just one downside to the whole concept for disney i mean can you imagine when people start to board the airplane and just as they get on they look left and into the cockpits so they see they see goofy and mickey mouse <laughs> yes, I mean, yes would, that, that would that you make like me nervous yes running no, give you for that. the door <laughs>
1: <laughs> good point <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I'd be like, I am out of here. I am getting off this plane. I, I, I am I mean, off, yeah. Absolutely. This
5: is a real Mickey Mouse operation, yeah. Oh,
1: <laughs> you're, worse, you're worse than Carlos. Stop oh. it, please.
5: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> by, the, by the way, <laughs> I think one of, the, one of the tougher flights in the U.S. is flying into Orlando, oh, really? uh, which is close to uh, Disney World, and it's just, you know, it's families and exhausted kids, and it's like, mm. ugh, I try and avoid flying into Orlando. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, presumably,
1: for obvious reasons, it's also quite congested airspace around there as well, because of the sheer number of flights.
5: Oh, sure. Sure, absolutely. But yeah, for me, it's just the, the passenger experience. Yes. Too, many, yes. too, many, yeah. too many exhausted kids on the airplane. When I go to Sun and Fun, most people fly into Orlando. I fly into Tampa, which is uh, uh, west of the, uh, uh, the Sun and Fun. That way I avoid the, uh, you know, the, the family crowds in Orlando.
1: A very sensible man. Very good. <laughs>
0: so, Max, we left the last story for you. And uh, I thought I'd s- s- slide this little GA story in, especially for
5: you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I went and found a, uh, a different version of the story because the one you chose won't let me view it. Apparently, I've viewed their site too many times in the past. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. okay. <laughs> okay. The old paywall. Uh, so I oh. have pulled up a uh, story with the same topic from AINonline.com, and it says Embry-Riddle looks to restock their Cessna Skyhawk fleet. Well, I saw this announcement earlier this week from uh, Air Venture. Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, which is the largest aviation university here in the United States. And by the way, it's, it's quite a prestigious uh, aviation school. Not only do they train a heck of a lot of pilots, they also have uh, a, a lot of other programs all the way up to the PhD level. Uh, and they produce more aeronautical engineers than any other university in the United States. Wow. Which is, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a remarkable place. Uh, they're down in um, Daytona Beach, and they also have a campus in Prescott, Arizona, so pretty big organization. They've agreed to purchase at least 60 Skyhawks, Cessna Skyhawks, the 172, over the next four years, and uh, they say, in keeping with Embry's rigorous focus on aviation safety, new aircraft for our fleet were selected following exhaustive evaluation by a team of experts for both our Prescott, Arizona, and Daytona Beach, uh, Florida campuses. We're honored to extend our successful 21-year relationship with Textron Aviation, to replenish the Embry-Riddle fleet with Skyhawk aircraft to provide our students with a highly effective and reliable training platform. They say since 2014, the school has purchased more than 75 airplanes from Textron, mostly Skyhawks. Now, there was another announcement earlier this week uh, uh, at AirVenture as well. Uh, Cessna inked an order for 100 Skyhawks. I don't remember over what time period, but probably over the next four or five years from ATP, which is a large uh, training provider that has probably a dozen or more locations across the United States so collectively in one week they have sold 160 Skyhawks now I looked it up, would you like to guess how many Skyhawks Cessna sold last year?
0: It'll be a lot because they're such a good trainer, it's going to be it must be well over
5: I'll I'll have a guess and say 4,000 (laughs) <laughs> okay they sold 129 last year oh really oh yeah oh, okay exactly so they just sold out uh, more than a year's worth of production in uh you know one one foul swoop wow. so yeah the um the t- historically the 172 i believe the numbers are they've sold about 46,000 of them over 50 years mm. uh, so you know the heyday the high water mark was back in the late 70s when uh, aircraft production was at its uh, at its peak but uh you know in recent years uh Cessna piston sales have been dropping off but it looks like everything is starting to head back up now because there's such demand for airline pilots that a lot of these uh, schools are, are tooling up and buying uh, more aircraft in fact people will say that if you want to buy a used 172 these days they have become extremely expensive over the last couple of years
0: i know i done some of my flight training uh when i was learning to fly in a 172 and i have to say it was enjoyable i you know, I'd done a mo- m- most of my training was in a 150, but I must say that the, the few hours that I'd done in a 172 were r- were real good fun. It's such an easy aircraft to fly, especially to trim in cruise uh, with the power settings and stuff. I, I found myself, but even though the version I had was, I think mine was a 1973 172 oh, that I'm But um, no, I mean they're brilliant for flight schools. I mean they can take a hammer, and as Max will know very well. They're um, built built like brick
5: outhouses. Right. Okay. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Got a lot. Of, got a lot of
0: love for the one seventy two Max.
6: St- st- yeah, it's, st- it's,
5: it's kind of the universal uh, training aircraft. Uh, I, I would say more pilots are trained in the one seventy two these days than any other uh, aircraft type. And if you travel around the country, and you want to rent one someplace else, then you're most likely to find a one seventy two for rent. So it, it's kind of the universal, uh, you know, getting started airplane.
1: Well, and, and, and also, just just it, it, you're sort of saying only only selling sort of like four hundred last year or mm, whatever. Yeah. I mean, but then if you're saying the one that you learnt to fly in was what 1974, did you? Yeah, say? I think it was either seventy three or seventy so, four. I mean, <laughs> you're not going to need to buy new ones very often then, if they'll last that long. I suppose. Well, no,
0: I think there's quite a good used market in the UK. There's various websites mm. where you can buy used um, used you know GA aircraft right um, yeah a lot of them are, are they are old some of some are even the late 60s some of the um the earlier sisters, and they're still they still look well you know very they've been obviously looked after they look very good mm. in very good condition indeed so we are uh, gonna uh, play something next for you it's a very special segment that uh, was sent in to us from armando and uh, we're going to play this out for you and then we're going to come back and have a chat with uh max this week because we're going we're to skip the military this week because yes. we've got max here so we'll have a nice chat with max after this but this segment is a very special segment indeed is the interview that uh, armando done with amanda uh, um with amanda simpson uh, as uh, who i said it was the vice pro or is the vice president for research and technology at airbus americas and uh well we're going to play that for you right now all
2: right, team. So I'm here with Miss Amanda Simpson, who is the Vice President of Research and Technology for Airbus Americas. Correct? Right, correct. And this is an interview that uh, we were offered by Airbus, and for PTUK, we absolutely took advantage of it to have somebody with such a an accomplished personal and professional career. Um, so thank you, and welcome to the show.
4: Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Orlando. That's uh, that's my honor to to talk with you all yeah and
2: and we are at Oshkosh so we are surrounded by aviation and it's just the most amazing show Um, so why don't we just start uh, with your personal story what how did you get into aviation and how did you end up here at Airbus
4: well thanks it's (laughs) i I've had incredible opportunities that I've pursued uh, over my career a long and storied career I might add Uh, when I was started in college, I found out that one of our graduates was, uh, had just been accepted uh, by NASA to be a spatial astronaut. And to me, that was my ultimate goal, was to be an astronaut. And I thought, wow, if, if George could get there, I have to figure out how to, how to do it, and I can just follow his path. And what he did in college was um, a scholarship program that took uh, four students a year and taught them to fly as a practical application of the science and technology that we were exposed to in the classroom. So I knew I had to do that. And I did get into it my uh, first year. And by the time I graduated, I was a commercial instrument rated pilot and it stuck. I mean, that was just, I found a passion and over the course of my career, it's that blending of the technology and the aviation aerospace background that has propelled me. My uh, first first job in aerospace was working on the prototype for the AH-64 Apache attack helicopter with Hughes Helicopter. And then I worked to work for Douglas Aircraft Company, doing customer service on. DC10s uh, then I went to work for Hughes Aircraft Company where I actually oversaw a vacuum tube production line so it, it, you, you kind of have to joke but you know probably not too many people even remember what vacuum tubes are but these weren't the little ones that were in the back of your television set. these were big 50 pound up units that were the main source of energy for military radars uh, for airborne radars. I worked the F-14, the F-15 programs, and after five years running that, I got an opportunity to go back into the aviation department and become a flight test pilot for Hughes Aircraft at the time. The job was to direct our operations or direct our tests from onboard the aircraft. So I was flying T-39, Sabre Liners, a variety of different aircraft, and we were conducting tests, not testing the aircraft, but conducting tests on systems, missiles, radars, and other things that we would mount on the aircraft and simulate their flights. And I did that for, I'll just say, a long time. Got to fly a lot of interesting aircraft, uh, some military, a lot of civilian aircraft that we modified, and had a you know, wonderful career doing that. Uh, one day, um, got a phone call from the White House asking if I would uh, join the Obama administration, and I'm not one to say no to the President of the United States. Uh, So I packed up my bags and moved out to D.C., and after a short stint with the Department of Commerce doing export controls, I moved over to the Department of Defense. I did acquisitions for the Army for a couple of years. Then I ran their Energy Department, and then the Secretary of Defense asked me to take over as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Energy. And so I had oversight of anything that was energy related uh, within the United States military worldwide. So it was the the fuel for all the jets and ships and tanks and trucks, but also uh, batteries for dismounted soldiers, and Marines, uh, remote outposts. It was just fascinating and uh, I got to touch well, anything in the military had an on-off switch was part of my purview. And of course, everything has an on-off switch. So I got involved with many, many programs. And like many things in uh, in government, when the administration changes, uh, so do all the people. And I was uh, shown the door. And after a little while of attempting a, a retirement, I decided I couldn't handle that right now and decided to find a job, and here I am now at Airbus, and I, I it's 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 great. It's great. Uh, Airbus in the Americas is a little enclave of the bigger company. It is, uh, we have all the different parts of Airbus. We have the commercial aircraft, we have helicopters, we have defense, we have space, we do air traffic control systems, we do, uh, it's just all varied, and I'm trying to well, I actually am pulling together all the technology and innovation we're doing ac- across all these different uh, yeah. opportunities. And it's really, and collaborating, of course, with our European counterparts.
2: One, uh, one of my opportunities in my military career was to work in research and development um, up in uh, Rome Labs. Oh. So, and I know one of my challenges going in there as somebody coming in from the field was to manage expectations and we had young engineers that were super uh, just motivated and wanted to change the world and come up with great technologies but we had one of our challenges was the government acquisitions process Mm -hmm. so now having done that and now being at airbus what are some of the difference that you've seen uh, in in the ability to transition technology out to the industry
4: well Doing technology development inside commercial industry, which I did before I came, so that went to the government and certainly now, is very different from what happens inside the government. It's a different acquisition process. Uh, commercial aspects are more nimble, more agile, can respond to changes. Uh, it's actually easier to terminate something if it's not a good <laughs> idea uh, than in the government. Uh, but at the same time, it's also there's so much to choose from. There's so many opportunities. It's finding those, those you know, golden needles in that haystack that are worth pursuing. And here in the Americas, particularly in, in North America, there are such incredible opportunities. I mean, here we are at the Experimental Aircraft Association, which is full of innovators, people who are building one-off aircraft who are coming up with ideas that no one's really tried before. And so tapping into that spirit is, is why I'm here this, this week.
2: So how do you capitalize when you see something come across uh, your desk or your office? And how do you capitalize on that innovation? And and how do you pick a project that says, this, this is something we're going to invest in? What, what sort of things are you looking for? Um,
4: Well, so, you know, I have to look at it with the eye of, you know, what would, what would this mean to Airbus? And it's you know I say how do we make our products better and how do we make better products because it's not just what we're building today it's what we're gonna be building tomorrow and how we build it so it's the manufacturing process as well as the technology that's gonna go into our next generation Uh, and it and it could be anything so sometimes it's yeah that could be something or wow that really could be something but of course as anything else we have to coordinate it with all the different activities that are going on globally. So I try to find the best here in the Americas and compare it to what's the best going on elsewhere in the world. And
2: is there pretty frequent communication with Airbus Europe and Airbus Americas or do they sort of let the American um, branch <laughs> uh, do its own thing how, how does no, how we're, is that relate oh
4: we're, we're very we're very interconnected I'm on the phone with them weekly or emails I seem to be in Europe uh, many times a year uh, to coordinate because we are a global organization we're not a separate part and we have to be coordinated
2: so from what I understand Airbus has the, the major facilities at least are in Wichita and Mobile correct
4: for, on the commercial aircraft side, right. We certainly are building helicopters in Columbus, Mississippi, as well as Grand Prairie, Texas. And just yesterday, we cut the ribbon on the OneWeb satellite facility at the Kennedy Space Center, where we're going to be building, uh, what, up to two satellites a day for the OneWeb uh, low Earth orbit communication system. So there's a lot going on here in the U.S.
2: So as Airbus invests more and more in the U.S., uh, what what are some of the things that are unique to Airbus? Because uh, I know your, your manufacturing facilities, in Mobile at least, which I, I got a chance to, to see from afar once, um, were revolutionary. I mean, it was the, the way Airbus is manufacturing aircraft was just anything beyond the scope of what the average person understands, and, and it was nothing nothing short of impressive um so how, how do you think airbus is leading the way on on those manufacturing processes and some of the amazing aircraft that like the a350 and the a220
4: so of course in mobile world we're building the 320s 321s and soon the 220s and and i will tell you the first time that i walked out on the floor of mobile i was looking around going wow it doesn't look like we're building aircraft very much Differently than we were when I was at Douglas back in the the late 70s, but then when you start digging into some of the processes, and there are some some novel and unique capabilities, and one of the things we're looking at now is to try to bring in more robotics, um, more ways to assist our our workers so that there's a less rework, the more precision, and that we can do things in a more efficient manner. So, you know, right now in Mobile, we're pushing out about five airliners a month, which is is pretty impressive, being that that facility only opened several years ago. But we think within about a year and a half, there will be 12 aircraft coming out of that factory a a month. So that's a a huge increase. And to deal with that, we have to figure out how to do things more efficiently and more effectively and get more use out of our facilities and out of our employees.
2: And one of the other, uh, just great initiatives that I saw Airbus just recently in the news was with the A320 and partnering with Delta on the biofuels and sustainable fuels. So uh, I, I saw that just recently, and it has to be the way of the future, isn't it? That ha- these sustainable fuels and
4: well, certainly we. I mean, we're delivering aircraft from Mobile uh, on the sustainable fuel, I and mean, you saw that was the our, uh, I think the fiftieth. uh, aircraft delivered to Delta. And uh, the sustainable fuels are are important. And we have to work with in that case, the fuel industry to help develop the supply for that on a a global basis. But that's a a near-term solution. We have some longer-term goals to really reduce the emissions and eventually eliminate them entirely. But that's it's going to be a challenge that we're looking at
2: yeah, i know i was up in uh, Fried- uh friedrichshaven for aero expo and on the general aviation side siemens um and magnus aircraft were were really trying to get the electric aircraft out there and in, into the general population uh, is that something that airbus is I, is looking at
4: so we're partnered with siemens on a program called the Efan x now the Efan was an all-electric aircraft that made uh, one of the the first true electric crossings of the English Channel uh, a few years back. The eFan X is taking an airliner, um, it's a BA146 I believe, and replacing one of its four engines with a two megawatt electric motor. And we're going to find out, I mean that's, think about that, two megawatts. That's an incredible amount of electricity and power that has to be controlled. So we're going to be starting to experiment. And that aircraft, we think, will be flying either later this year or early next year. And and that's going to be a a step forward to understanding how to do that on large aircraft. But meanwhile, if you were to go downstairs, here you'd see our Vahana uh, aircraft, which, of course, is 100% electric. Um, its, Its twin has done well over a hundred hundred flights now and it's completely self-piloted all electric zero emission and you know that's going to be what is required as urban air mobility becomes more of a demand uh in our transportation ecosystem yeah and
2: and, and that really is it. We, we do articles and stories almost weekly about either electric aircraft the urban air mobility um and then in addition to that, the, 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 what is the human's role in, in in the loop or on the loop, as we used to say, right? Um, so where do you see... So we have a pilot-less aircraft downstairs that is safe and has proven to be safe. Yeah. Do you see that technology perhaps going larger or wider into the industry, the aerospace industry?
4: Well, I think it has to. And, you know, we're seeing it in a variety of fronts. Um, you may be aware that the the U.S. military is well on their way of developing the unmanned refueling aircraft energy, just in case you <laughs> hadn't made the connection, uh, because it's going to be necessary for a variety of reasons. One, it can do the job better. You don't have to put all the... Uh, Life support systems. Exactly. Life support systems. But also, it reduces the demand for pilots in that case with the United States Navy. And the demand for pilots is only going to be increasing. I heard some statistic that over the next 15 years, there's going to be a requirement for more pilots than have ever been certified in the history of aviation. And to keep up with that, we have to find new ways to be efficient with our flight crews. And that's going to be bringing more autonomy into the cockpit. I mean, let's, let's think about it. When avia- commercial aviation started, there were five people in the cockpit. <laughs> and then there were four, and then there were three, and now we're down to two. Is there gonna be a next step? I think it has to happen. Uh,
2: and uh, w- one of the other great things that I saw Airbus working on was this the bird of prey. So- Isn't that cool? It was probably the coolest thing I've ever seen in aviation, so biologically inspired engineering. It's an airplane that that looks like a bird. It, it Well, actually, you can tell me how, how you guys ended up with, with that concept.
4: Well, I was not part of that project. I, I mean, I heard about it at the, about the same time that, that most of you did. It is inspired by the bird of prey. It has, on the ends of its uh, wings, winglets that are individually controlled, like the, the flight feathers of a, of a bird, and its tail is more like a, like a soaring bird. So it, it's not something that we're going to build, but it is a concept that we're using to inspire and think about how the future of aviation is going to look like. Let's think outside the box. and What can we learn? From nature that we can apply to our products.
2: Yeah. So, and and I'm sure that was uh, an engineer or a group of engineers that came, came up with an innovative uh, idea, and, and we I feel like we throw that around the hey, innovation and 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 just new ideas. How do we revolutionize an industry? And one of one of my goals in my career was to capitalize on the diversity of engineers and developers that we had um at least in the Department of Defense and that included young engineers and more experienced engineers. So how do you see that going? How do you how do you capitalize on that that new push for diversity in engineering?
4: You know I, I, I saw a study recently that polled young people and said, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And number one on the list was like youtube blogger. You know, <laughs> now nothing against against you Armando, but the bottom of the list was astronaut. And that's okay, I, I get that a, you know, blogger was not available when I was growing up or even a concept, but it's the inspiration towards the aerospace community that we've lost and so we need to rekindle that, particularly in the the minorities, in women, it, bringing those people to the workforce that Bring those diverse ideas because if we, you know, I remember back in the 70s, you know, everyone, all the guys were wearing white shirts with uh, blue <laughs> ties, and and they all looked the same and they all thought the same, and it's gonna, it's from those diverse groups that we get these unique and novel ideas and the acceptance to pursue them. So we've we got to continue to inspire people, and I'm telling you this. This airventure is one of those where you walk around and you've got to be inspired. The creativity, the opportunities, and you know, like you said, just the sound of the round engines flying by. Remembering our history, but at the same time, watching these high-tech jets fly around is, is pretty impressive.
2: How would you? How would you? How do you think? It, what? What's the best way to get out there? So airventure is is, is a great example. How do we get aviation and aerospace engineering and all the associate enge- engineering and, and STEM subjects, how do we get that out to the to the general public? What do, what do we need to do different?
4: Well, I don't know if it's do something different, but it's do what we used to do, which was engage our youth. Um, and I'm not an expert in that field, but it seems that we've gotten too rote in our education process rather than... Letting the imaginations drive what is unique to each and each student. And find out what people, what inspire each of them. It's not going to be everybody. Aerospace engineering isn't for everyone. Being a pilot isn't for everyone. But I bet there's a lot more people out there that would be interested in it and should be pursuing it.
2: So if, you, if we had a high school senior mm-hmm. sitting here with us right now, what advice would you give them? on entering if they were already interested in entering the industry
4: go for it yeah it, you know i i think so many people think that the it, it's about pursuing the the monetary returns but it's not it's about finding what brings you pleasure happiness and a feeling of contribution and commitment to society i mean i i can look to the skies and say i'm part of that i helped bring that about i'm helping move millions of people around the planet each year i'm helping from my past make sure that we are secure and and in our defense and that means more to me than having a big bank account even though i'd like that airplane
2: (laughs) yeah and there's a lot of airplanes for sale out there um i'm honored to be here sitting with you I'm just super grateful that we got the opportunity to chat with you and uh, I look forward to seeing what Airbus comes up with in the next couple of years It's going to be pretty projects.
4: impressive. We got some really interesting things we're pursuing
2: That's great. Thank you so much for your time
4: oh, My
0: pleasure <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that little segment there from Amanda. I know uh, I, uh, we, well, we always get first kind of dibs on this sort of stuff when we get stuff sent in don't we from Armando do, so yeah, we, we get to watch these things before the show and I watched this yesterday oh, you, yeah you you, you and yeah. I, I yeah. and I absolutely and I, was like, I Matt and Armando and saying oh, that was really good really good segment I love it absolutely love it and it was really good so thanks a lot for that Armando yeah very interesting indeed and also good to see women in aviation that's the best thing
1: yeah it's, it's great and what a fantastic uh the piece it is it's just uh uh and, and, and fresh from osh as well I mean, bless him he's he's actually edited that while he's been in the know. you know on site which is fantastic so we've got another little piece uh that we're going to play uh shortly um but First, I think it's time to have a little chat with our yes. esteemed guest. So, again, uh, this week we have Max
0: Tresca on the show with us. So, uh, again, welcome, Max, onto the show. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy flight schedule to join us.
5: Did did you say you want to have a little
0: chinwag?
1: Is that what you said? Yes, I mean, you, that would. Do you know what well, that'd be chinwag, jolly chinwag, splendid if you chinwag. if you could squeeze us in? We'd be eternally grateful, certainly.
5: Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Yeah, we don't use that expression here, so I don't even really know what it means. No. But I think okay. it means chatting.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, <sure. laughs> yeah. You, you you've caught us out. We, it's, it's... We so, Max, we, we,
0: um, we last uh, saw you back on, uh, I think you refreshed my memory earlier, on episode
5: 172 of the show. It was then, about yeah. two years ago in July, that, yes. and that was, uh, that was when you guys made the big announcement. You made the big announcement that uh, Neb was going to f- full-time host. Oh at that yes, point.
1: of course, ah. yeah, absolutely.
5: So yeah. It's, yeah. His, it's his two-year <laughs> <laughs> year anniversary, but he didn't show up for oh. it. Oh, rude! Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, what's yeah. what's been going on in the world of uh, Max Trascott in the last few years? Then, obviously, you're still doing a CFI and stuff, the training, training the young pilots of the future.
5: Sure. So, let's see. Uh, between when we last talked, I decided to teach full-time in Cirrus. So, just a little under two years ago. I realized, you know, um, I like these planes uh, a lot, and there's a real need for training in them. And it was kind of odd. Uh, as soon as I said, nope, I'm not going to teach any longer in all these other aircraft, my schedule got more full. I got busier. I had to raise my rates because I had no free time. Yeah, so it was okay. really, it was kind of ironic. Um, and the reason I did that, well, twofold. One, I really think they are safer aircraft because they 've got the the caps the cirrus airframe parachute system where basically if you 've got a problem, you pull the handle and then you 've got a huge parachute that just lowers you know the entire aircraft you 've got to be above uh, five hundred feet above the ground in some models six hundred feet in other models to do that, but it really does add a layer of safety that 's just not available in the other aircraft, uh, but these aircraft are more Technologically advanced, so that kind of appeals to my inner geek. <laughs> my background is in electrical engineering, uh, and so I just I just love all the you know the different features that are available in, in these aircraft. Uh, so these days, uh, spending just a lot of time teaching in Cirrus. Oh, and you know I, I went back and I listened to 172 uh, yesterday, and in it, uh, you guys asked me what was my favorite airplane and what airplane I wanted to fly next, and so on. I said the Vision Jet, the Cirrus uh, Vision Jet. And um, later that year, I indeed got my type rating. Actually, later last year. So about a year after we last talked, I did get my uh, type rating. Uh, and that's pretty uh, intensive uh, training. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I think a lot of people who get checked out on a piston aircraft, uh, you know, they may spend 5, 10, 15 hours you know, learning about that aircraft. Here, it was a solid nine days, you know, of just drinking, eating, uh, you know, sleeping uh, aircraft stuff. I mean, it really was dawn to to dust kind of, uh, you know, work. All the training for the uh, Cirrus SF-50 Vision Jet is back in Knoxville where they have a large multi-million dollar, you know, full-size simulator that, you know, rocks and rolls. And they've um, set it up so that they've got space to add two more of those because uh, demand is going to be increasing. Um, The uh, Cirrus Vision Jet, uh, they sold, let me think, they shipped uh, 60 of them last year. And then they shipped, uh, you know, roughly 30 or 40 the year before. So there are a little over 100 of them out in the wild. Uh, but last year it was the uh, best-selling uh, jet. So they shipped more jets than any other uh, jet company did of, of a particular model, which is pretty remarkable when you consider that they just started shipping them a little over uh, two, almost two and a half years ago now. At this point, um, so between those three models, the SR-20, SR 22 and the Vision Jet, I'm staying uh, pretty busy. Uh, but also got a couple writing projects, uh, and that's why I'm not at uh, AirVenture this week. I've been to AirVenture probably you know, a dozen times over the last uh, 20 years, I would guess. I was there last year, but just decided this year, you know, I've got so many little projects that I'm trying to, to uh, you know, make some headway on, that. I figured I'd you uh, know kind of stick around. And so far that's worked out. Uh, you know, I, I had a little bit of time in my flying schedule this week where I could dedicate about two days to uh, some of the writing projects. So yeah, it keeps me, keeps me pretty busy.
0: Max, when you obviously you you do you know the training and stuff in the Cirrus aircraft for someone who's done most of their training like myself in a, in a one fifty or one seven two, how easy is it to transition from, from the Cessna product with steam gauges essentially over to the Cirrus, which is like you know going from a
5: an Amstrad sixty four across to a, an iPad. Sure. So I think the first question I ask people is, you know, do you like technology? You know, do you use a smartphone? Do you have an iPhone or an Android? And if the answer to those things is yes, then you know, it's, it's well within your grasp. If, if on the other hand, people are like, eh, no, I really like this flip phone. It does you know, everything that uh, <laughs> I ever need to do. And by the way, I know a flight instructor recently who showed me his flip phone that he still carries. Wow. And I was absolutely stunned. <laughs> Impressive
1: <laughs> so, stuff. Yeah,
5: yeah. He certainly doesn't run four flight on that. That's for uh, sure. No, <laughs> No,
1: I can imagine. Yeah. Um, actually, we yeah, we, so, we we discovered something quite ahead. interesting with that with um, Armando actually because they now do a four flight uh, software that's designed for people with simulators like so where, where you've got mm, like, flights yeah. in and stuff. It's it's a powerful bit of kit actually, isn't it?
5: Yeah. So I there are some interfaces, but I, I don't know the specifics of. You know how that how that works out Is there more you can tell me about it
1: uh we we, we need we got the, ro- the armando would be the man for all that but he was sort of uh, demonstrating it yeah i've uh, seen it in to, operation yeah. here when when armando was based here in the uk
0: before he moved back to the us he he'd, he'd got a sim set up in his in his basement and um using uh, x-plane i think it was x-plane and had four flights set up with that to use. Yeah, and it could um, it could interface yeah, it with, with, with four flights. So you could well. do all
1: your flight plans and everything yeah. using four flights. Very good. <laughs> yeah, it was impressive stuff, actually. So yeah. as if you were doing a real flight, essentially.
0: Actually, we've got a question yeah. for you, uh, Max, from the chat room from Tony sure. S. He says that if, uh, if you would have been working for the Sirius design team, are there anything, or is there anything you would have uh, done differently with the design of the aircraft?
5: Hmm. Tough question. Um, I, I really admire good design. Uh, that's just one of the things that I'm really drawn to, and I've been particularly drawn to the Cirrus Jet because I think the design is really excellent. Uh, if you, um, I, I mean, there's so many first impressions you get when you jump into the uh, the aircraft, which hold hold through. You know, for example, uh, it looks roomy. It looks um, you know, like the cockpit is very streamlined and simplified. Uh, And it's easy to get into. Let me me just give you some points of comparison. By the way, I think the simple answer to the question is no. (laughs) I can't think (laughs) of anything I would do differently. But let me tell you about some of the things that I I, I think really distinguish it. Uh, For example, I have... um, taught uh, in a citation from time to time. And for me to climb into a Cessna citation, I'm a little over six feet tall. And to get into the right front seat, it takes probably 45 to 50 seconds just to kind of pretzel my body into that space. I mean, if you ever had to get out in a hurry, yeah. forget it. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not going to happen. Climbing into the serious vision jet, if you're going to sit in one of the front seats, it's like sitting in my office chair here. I mean, mm. that's how easy It is to get into Uh, both seats slide back probably a full three plus feet Uh, so there's just tons of room to get in you slide them forward so uh, that's incredibly simple and then most jets when you're in the cockpit and you look around you you know you see switches over every square inch of space and I, I get that. I mean, as engineers, we're trained for efficiency. And I think one definition of efficiency is, oh, there's a blank spot there. We can put a switch right there. <laughs> so you just end up with, you know, stuff everywhere. They took really the opposite approach uh, with the, the Vision Jet. They looked at how to eliminate everything and to just put it into uh, touch touchscreen c- controllers. So basically a lot of the functions that had switches are now, you know, interact with a, a touchscreen controller. Uh, to To you know, turn functions on and off, and so the result is you have an incredibly clean design from a cockpit standpoint. It almost looks like you 're getting into a luxury car you know you 've got the the glass panels right in front of you you 've got a huge windshield you know above it you 've got a couple little you know controls down below it, but then you 've got nothing off to the sides you know there's there 's nothing above and to the right above and to the left you know along the sides, uh, so it 's just a really really clean. Uh, design. But here's the most remarkable thing. Uh, If you look at the vents, you know, I used to look at the vents on this and go, oh, geez, it looks like I'm in a car. Well, (laughs) one of the little details that I learned when I went through the training is those vents come from Ford, The air vents that are in the front, there's one on each side. They are from the Ford F one hundred and fifty pickup truck, and it turns what? out that Ford, <laughs> the Ford, would not sell them the vents. So I'm told that they buy them from a local Ford dealer at <laughs> spare <No> parts. Way. <laughs> they, they put them in, but they're beautiful. I mean, they're they're kind of silver. They got great little louvers and nice round shape, and you know they're 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 built uh, you know tough. <laughs> and so you know I I think they just did a really nice job of uh, taking. Uh, you know, a vision of a simplified cockpit, uh, and you know, in implementing it, one of the things that they did is they made sure that they kept the the main displays down a little bit lower, so that creates more space for a window. So you've got a wraparound view that really goes from you know wing to wing, uh, with virtually no interruptions in it, and it's large. You know, it's not like you're staring out through a, some little slit in front of you. <laughs> it's like you've got big windows in front of you. So I think part of the name Vision Jet is you've got a got a great view, and another part of it is what's just kind of a a vision for you know what a you know a beautifully designed jet could look like.
0: To these uh, the Vision Jet uh, Max, I was just reading the specs. Cabin height four foot one inch. Mm-hmm. That's uh, fairly. Uh,
5: yeah, so you're not going to stand yeah. up on it, run up and down the aisle. Uh, but I, I think there are relatively few, um, you know, light jets in which you can do that. Mm. But right. it, it
0: does look, it does look absolutely amazing. And also, I just think as well that uh, the uh, the actual performance kind of stats and stuff on uh, thirty. Uh, yeah, where are we? Climb rate, uh, maximum operating at all to thirty-one thousand feet, which is um, pretty impressive.
5: Getting up there, yeah. The um, the first version of the jet only went up to uh, 28,000 feet and they uh, basically did some work with the engine manufacturer and reprogrammed the, uh, the output uh, thrust schedule. We were able to get it up a little bit higher, get a little bit more thrust out of it at the higher altitudes, which to me was fascinating. Who would have thought that you basically can get more power out of a jet by, you know, twiddling with the software for the engine. And also, this, this old features as well the CAPS
0: system on the Vision Jet as well. It still has, you know, with the, the, the uh, SR22 and this has the cap system as well which is quite...
5: It cool. does. It works very differently. You know, with the SR20 and SR22 it's kind of a hardwired connection between the, the handle and the the rocket and essentially when you pull that handle there's a wire that drops a, you know, a firing pin if you will into the into the rocket and it's it's a significant rocket even on the 20s and the 22s I think they said they would take like a you know it would if, if you were hanging onto that rocket on the ground when it fired apparently it'll lift like a 180 pound person 200 feet in the air I mean it's it's a large rocket to kind of extract that parachute safely and get the lines you know far enough away from the aircraft and up over the tail in the uh, the vision jet uh, instead of it coming out from behind the uh, the cockpit, it actually comes out in front of the cockpit. So as you're looking through the window, I hope I never see this for real, but you're going to be looking at the parachute, you know, yeah. jumping up in front of you and uh, going above you. Wouldn't it be uh, hanging? Yeah. would
0: be hanging down tail first? Um, yeah, tail first in that situation.
5: Well, so in the uh, in the 20s and the 22s, when you pull the parachute, you're initially actually pitched downward rather significantly, which is why you don't want to pull it if you're below five, six hundred feet, depending upon the model. Mm. But within a few seconds, uh, the rear lines lengthen, uh, which has the effect of dropping the tail back down, so that you then have uh, you know uh, an aircraft that's relatively uh, level coming down, with the. Um, the vision jet, I believe that it's programmed to initially kind of swoop upwards to uh, reduce speed, uh, but it actually uses a, a computer to uh, control it. So instead of having this kind of direct, you pull it and it goes, it can take up to 30 seconds as the autopilot attempts to slow the aircraft, you know, back below a certain speed, uh, and then if uh, you know if it hasn't succeeded in doing that, then eventually it just says, okay, you know, we're going to we're going to fire this. So, yeah, you've got to be at least a thousand feet off the ground to use the parachute there, but you know frankly, I don't think we're going to see the parachute used nearly as much in the vision jet as we have in the piston aircraft uh for a lot of reasons. you know most of the approaches when you're coming in to land in a jet, you know it's the long straight in approach you know you're lined up from ten miles out, everything's nice and stable you don't run into the kinds of problems that people run into when they're flying a traffic pattern where you are you know, constantly making turns and making speed adjustments and if you end up you know high or fast then you have an unstable approach as you're headed down toward the runway i just think that the kinds of situations that you know you get into in smaller aircraft are going to be fewer of those so it may be quite a while before we see a, a parachute pulled on the vision chat
0: now, Max, obviously you've spent a lot of time you know, with the Cirrus CSR-22 and you've obviously now you can obviously do the Vision Jet kind of rating as well, what are the sort of expenses for that? Because obviously everyone knows it costs a fortune to learn to fly anyway, but obviously adding on the extra bits and pieces that you've done, is, is that quite, quite
5: costly in the US? Uh, costly to what? Get checked out checked to learn out, to fly? Yeah. Is yeah, sure. So I would say that, um, you know, if you look at an SR-20, a minimum checkout time where I teach is probably pretty close to 10 hours. might be a little bit longer on an SR-22. So yeah, if you were checking out in a 182, you might do that in five hours or less. So yeah, I, I think um, the systems are more complex. There's more to know. And so the checkout times are longer. And that does add to the, the expense of flying the aircraft. So
0: do you do most of your training there, Max, with the Cirrus, or do you, do, do you do still do some tra- flight training in, in the uh, the old venerable 172 or 150?
5: You know, I have one student left in uh, 172. Uh, he started with me a couple of years ago in a Diamond DA40. Uh, he wasn't able to n- initially get his license uh, when we first started, so we kept working and working and working. Uh, finally, we switched over to the 172 because... The number of DA 40s in our fleet had had kind of shrunk down, and finally this gentleman turned 16 and he was able to solo a couple of months ago. <laughs> so we have uh, we continued to fly with him in the Cessna 172, but he's he's the last person that uh, that I'm flying with that's not as a serious at this point. Oh, that's good.
0: Tony yeah. S is Tony S is asking. He's taller oh. than I am now. <laughs> <laughs>
5: this guy, yeah, yeah. This guy yeah. is yeah. well over six feet, so pretty yeah. funny have, watching what's happened over the last couple of years yeah. flying. Four away. and a half feet he was when you started training. When he started, actually, yeah. actually, exactly.
0: actually on, on that note, when when you um, you know when when your your students pass and you know they, they get their license and, and stuff, do you find do you find a lot of the uh, students then progress on to to trying to become
5: a CFI like yourself? I certainly encourage it as much as I can. Uh, I would say that uh, relatively small percentage of them actually move on to become CFIs, or if they do, it's you know, quite a bit longer. Uh, one of the things I do, anytime I'm giving a presentation, I always ask all the CFIs up at, uh, in the room to stand up and we, you know, give them a round of applause and recognize them. And you know I talk about how I became a CFI, which was a little bit happenstance. And then I encourage them to become a CFI. And I tell them, I hope a couple of years from now, one of you will walk up to me and say, you know, I hadn't thought about doing this, but you planted the seed in my mind. And yes, I became a CFI. So it's great fun. There is a CFI shortage right now because the airlines are hiring like crazy. And CFIs, I think, are you know, excellent candidates to be airline pilots. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's tough to um, sometimes find a CFI just because uh, you know, supply and demand is out of balance right now.
0: So one last question from Tony S. Then he's <laughs> this is quite an interesting one. He says, uh, "Do caps survivors get a tie like the Martin Bay ejectees?" <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, you know that's interesting. There has been uh, <laughs> a lot of speculation about when we'll have the either the first airplane to have caps pulled twice on it, or the first pilot you know to end up uh, pulling twice. Uh, so far, that hasn't happened. Um, but but uh, you know, there's actually a uh, a meeting of. Um, cap survivors which is going to uh, occur this uh, this fall at the annual uh, convention uh, because I think you know some of them do have unique experiences that other people just don't understand and so you know this is an opportunity for them to talk among themselves about what was it like and, you know, what kinds of things are they dealing with afterwards? I think some people kind of walk away from the experience and it was like, yeah, all right. So I pulled the parachute, big deal, and they move on with their lives. You know, other people I think are, you know, they're, they're a little bit more um, unsettled, you know, by the experience. And it's a little harder for them to, uh, to move on. So it's a good, good opportunity, I think, for people to get together and, you know, just kind of talk about what their experiences were.
0: So, what's the future hold then, uh, Max? What's the plan for uh, for the next or moving, moving on? I am mean, obviously, you're you're ever so busy with podcast hosting, and
5: obviously, yeah. you've got the Geeks Podcast, I, your I, own
1: podcast. I don't know how he has time to I, actually yeah. do any flying, frankly. Well, yeah,
5: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a really good point. Uh, I don't either. There, there are days where I, uh, you know, I'll be out at the airport, you know, eight hours, uh, you know, flying, and you know, I, I typically fly five or six days a week. I always make sure that I take off at least a day and a half over the the weekend because I don't want to get in the position where, gosh, I'm, you know, not liking flying anymore. Um, I've thought a lot about, you know, the, uh, the question you just asked, what next uh, a couple of things. I am working on a couple of books, uh, so that's part of why I'm staying here this this week. And no, I'm not going to tell you what they are. Uh, but <laughs> they're, they're just uh, just, you know, just let fun. me know so I can
0: get one on Amazon, please. <laughs>
5: <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a heck of a lot of fun writing. It, it's kind of um, you know, it, it's a fun um, counterpoise to the uh, the actual flying. So I get a little bit of both. You know, when I'm flying, I'm outdoors and I'm having a good time, and yet. When I'm on the book, I can just kind of nerd out and you know, kind of dig into the my, new details of a particular thing. So uh, I like kind of having a little bit of that balance. I've thought about uh, you know, whether to spend more time uh, in jets. You know The trouble with uh, flying in uh, you know, jets is, as they say, the bigger the airplane you need, or, or the bigger the airplane you fly, the bigger the suitcase you need. And you know, I'm lucky I'm home almost every night. You know I, That's the nice thing about training. Uh, if I were uh, off doing tons of jet work, well then i 'd be home you know many more nights a year so i 'm kind of struggling with that balance. I do want to spend more time in the jets, maybe some of the um, you know the other jets uh, like the vision jet that have uh, that particular um, glass cockpit the g three thousand um, and so we 'll see um, you know just <laughs> right now i 'm pretty happy with the with the balance it 's great uh, you know doing the podcast, all the interaction uh, with listeners. I know you folks. And know what that's like. Um, And and the thing that I didn't expect when I started Aviation News Talk was two things. One, how much I would learn, uh, just because whenever I do a topic, I'm doing a lot of research on that topic. And so, you know, I've learned a lot, you know, from doing the podcast, Mm. but also what I've learned from listeners. There have been so many folks who you know, after an episode we'll say oh yeah but you know you consider this and by the way you might want to look into that and so mm. on so it's been a really great uh relationship with the the community and i've learned a lot and hopefully they're profiting from it as well so i mean but i, I couldn't me,
1: right? i couldn't agree with you more to be honest with you i mean our, our show is only as good, good as it is because of uh, uh you know the, the amazing people in the chat room i mean they you know their their knowledge will always far outstrip ours if you like when it comes that's why we have a chat room yeah absolutely it's one of the main reasons why we go to the hassle of doing it live because it means you know (laughs) people can people can put us right immediately rather than waiting for the emails actually a nice nice little saying from
0: uh, from neil lamhorn in the chat room says that max has a really calming voice he must yep. really help with instructing too right yeah
5: <laughs> yeah it's funny i i uh, i keep that same voice when i'm instructing except when something starts to get a little critical yes you know and then the voice sounds a little more intense like you know we need that power yep. now come on yes. so Yeah. I, th- I think people the tempo kind of increases you know i <laughs> think I think people hear that it's like, "Oh, Max is really serious about this." I guess I better really, you know, put the nose down further or add a little power. Now, yeah, yeah. don't don't muck about. It, this this is serious. So one <laughs> one last
0: question. Then we we've, we've got another little segment to play from Amanda. But one last question before we uh, finish, Max. We,
5: I know we. Oh, it's a bit. Of, I, I've, oh, I've got one last question for oh, you as well too. Oh, oh go uh, on. Can I ask? Yeah. Can I ask it now? Yeah, yeah. go on. Yeah. Bo- Boeing or Airbus.
1: Going. Hold <laughs> on, can I just
0: get my can I get my, my, hold on, can I get my bottle, my water bottle? Oh,
1: there we go, look at that <laughs> Okay. Honestly. Thank you. Excellent. I um, like
0: it. No, we, we always I mean we always ask that question, don't we, at the end of it? But I've got a bit of a twist to that question. Like it's like okay. presumably have asked it's, it's this Max, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ma- yeah. So th- so Max, you you're, you've got your house there where you live. You've got your garage. If you uh, had a, a taxiway leading from your garage to a runway, and you had a, the cho- the choice to have any aircraft in that garage that you could just hop into now and go out for a flight, what would that aircraft be sitting in your garage now?
5: Wow, so it'd have to be pretty small to fit in the garage. Yeah, yeah. it's a GI aircraft. Yeah. If I had an unlimited size garage, I guess you're, you're asking what would be that fun yeah. thing to fly around. Hmm. that's you know, it's a tough question. I, Not um, a vision jet. <laughs> it, 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 and here's why it's tough. You know, I don't do as much personal flying much anymore because uh, I'm, I'm getting all the flying, you know, like I could ever want, you know, while, while teaching. I don't have family that are, you know, at distances where it's, you know, practical to go fly and see them. Uh, and when I want to go someplace to uh, hang out, you know, I, I drive 45 minutes down here and you know head down to the ocean and you know chill out with the uh, the, the cool ocean breezes there. So I guess I guess it would have to be. Um Mm, you know, something like a Grumman Widgeon. You know, a nice twin-engine uh, seaplane. That would probably be the, okay. the fun thing to have in the garage <laughs> there. And I, and I am—I I did get my uh, multi-engine uh, seaplane ATP rating in a Widgeon. So uh, there's nothing this probably... guy can't do, man. No, have, no have,
0: have, have you got that now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if if you get, if you're in a plane and that the pilots are just jumping out and you need a pilot. Right, he, he's Max man. is the man right, you okay. needed. With I you. mean,
1: a small part of me is thinking if they're if they're jumping out, I don't want to be anywhere near the damn thing either, because um, you know. <laughs> but mate, pi- pilots don't know. tend to evacuate yeah. their um their, their you know evacuate the ship. Well, Doctor Steph does. <laughs> she's forever no, cause jumping cause she's, out of aircraft. Like, she's, she's one of those silly people that straps a parachute to her back and throws herself out come on
5: but let me tell you the 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 odd thing about getting your atp in a seaplane not only do you have to do all the landings on the water you have to do instrument approaches and then circle and land on the water so it's kind of an interesting combination i bet but it sounds fun though i'd love to fly a seaplane anyway
0: i'm gonna have to raid the joint account again (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> there we go. Wow. Okay. Right, so we've got just one last little segment to play out for you from Armando before we wrap up the show. And this one is uh Sandra Payne and Barry Payne and they are going to be talking about uh, their Comanche 250.
2: All right. So, team, I'm here with Miss Sandra Payne and Barry Payne who are flying a Comanche all the way across the world. Uh, First of all, welcome to the show.
7: Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. So you're flying across the world.
6: How did you get
2: this idea?
7: Well, it was, uh, we've run out of long-range flying to do in the uh, South Pacific area, and we thought, what's next? And um, somebody, Sandra, said, well, we should fly around the world. And I said, well, why not? Let's go do it.
2: Now, she was telling me you guys have flown this Comanche over some
7: pretty open spans,
2: expanses of water, haven't you, just in the past 10 years?
7: We have, and um, we live in New Zealand, and uh, anywhere you want to go um, seriously outside New Zealand, you've got a lot of water to fly over to get to the next bit of land or country. So, uh, you know, we're quite used to flying over water, and um, in fact, we... Um, I bought the Comanche so that uh, we could do just that with, um, with ease. And, yeah. So
2: what was it about the Comanche? I've flown, I've flown the Comanche and I know I fell in love with it as soon as I started flying it. But what was it about the Comanche that you were looking for that you said that's the, air, the right airplane to do this?
7: Well, it wasn't, it wasn't my choice to begin with. Um, I was looking for an aeroplane that we could do just what we're doing now with, comfortably. And um, a good friend of mine said, well, you need a Comanche. And I said, no, I don't, um,
1: Is it thinking they were too old.
7: But um, when I looked at the uh, performance specs, uh, he was right. Um, and the, this Comanche, well, um, it's a light aeroplane. We can uh, carry the fuel load. And ourselves, and some very light baggage, and uh, survival equipment, and uh, take off at gross
2: Now, Miss Sandra, you're also a pilot, correct? That
6: is correct.
7: Yeah. Yes. So,
2: how do you manage the workload um, or the planning going across the ocean and such? You know, such an endeavor.
6: Uh, Barry and I fly as a crew, and we we decided we'd look at what our strengths and weaknesses were. And so he does all the takeoffs and landing and twiddling with the, um, you know, the autopilot. I manage the systems and the fuel and the human factors, making sure our oxygen levels are at the right level, hydration. Um, all the things that, that I call housework on the flight. And together, I think we fly as a pretty nice team. Yeah. Mm.
2: Well, that's the perfect marriage too, isn't it?
7: <laughs> a very good one, actually. Yeah, so we've been married 50 years. Congratulations. I've been flying 50 years and um, we've got 50 flights around the world. Uh, so
6: 50 f- years at Oshkosh as well. Okay, so
7: it's, it's, the stars have
2: aligned this year to do this, right?
7: Yep, certainly have.
2: Now what kind of planning, we were talking a little bit about weather planning just in what time of year do you go, but what kind of planning considerations does it take to go across the world?
7: Well, obviously, fuel is the big criteria. AF gas is not as available as it uh, used to be many years ago. So, our routing is primarily around where the uh, fuel's available. And, um, and then, of course, uh, where um, it's, in many cases, we just want to go to those places and, and have a look. So, um, that really set our planning.
2: Now you were saying that you've you've crossed uh, the equator a couple of times now.
6: Yeah. We've crossed it once and when we go back we'll cross it again.
2: And no major weather problems or challenges?
6: Uh, when we came up through the intertropical conversion zone we were expecting a little bit of turbulence and maybe not, you know not such a good flight but We were blessed and we had a really nice smooth ride. The interesting thing is you could see the pattern ahead of you and the clouds were quite open so we were allowed to, you know, just go around them and keep going so it was a pretty nice flight.
2: Now what's the longest leg that you're doing that is over water or the furthest from an airport that you will be?
6: Uh, we've already done that. It was from Kagish, uh, sorry, from Guam to Kagoshima in Japan and that was a nine-hour flight over water. And it really was over water. There wasn't a bird, a fish, a plane <laughs> or an island anywhere along the line. But it was a good flight and uh, we really enjoyed it.
7: Have
2: you made any special modifications to the
7: airplane for this trip? No, really it's, uh, it's the airplane as we use it every, uh, every time we fly. Um, it has, uh, um, as a Comanche, it has an extra fuel tank in the back, but that's a um, uh, an STC to fuel tank for the Comanche. So we've got 140 gallons, which gives us um, about 11 and a half hours. And uh, so, literally, um, and i I maintain it, so I'm the engineer as well. So we literally pushed it out of the hangar, put our survival gear on board, and set out.
6: That's great.
2: And can you describe the route a a little bit? So you've left New Zealand, and what's what's the overall plan?
6: Uh, We left New Zealand on 28th of April, and we've allowed ourselves a six-month window to do the trip. We went from um, New Zealand to Australia, Australia to Papua New Guinea, Papua New Guinea to Guam, Guam to Japan, Japan, three stops in Russia, and then across to Nome in Alaska. And we've done a bit of a tiki tour, I think you would call it, in the, <laughs> in the USA. And we went out to um, New York and then we went down to Tulsa in Oklahoma and then back on up here to Oshkosh. So this is kind of about halfway. Um, from here we go into Canada, over to Goose Bay, up to Greenland, Iceland and into Scotland, England and then we're hoping to go to Switzerland, Poland and then to Moscow. And from Moscow we'll go across Russia and into Vladivostok and then down south home from there.
2: That's that's a amazing endeavor that you that you're taking on and w- one of the things that we were talking about earlier was the community aspect of aviation and how w- when someone takes uh, on an effort like this, suddenly people start helping you from all over, don't they?
7: Look, aviation—the general aviation community is worldwide—is smitten with exactly the same virus, and it—and um, so there's a um, there's no known antidote, and you just enjoy it. And so, yeah, it doesn't matter where you are. The only difference might be a bit of language, um, but that's quickly overcome by. Uh, the, the fraternity of aviation. Yeah, we have met so many lovely, lovely people um, across all of the countries we've visited so far. And um, all I can say is uh, if that was the world, it's a nice place.
2: I agree. And Oshkosh is the best place to experience that with people from all walks of life and every country and every kind of airplane here, isn't it?
7: Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah no, amazing. So um, it's our second visit to Oshkosh. Um, and I can say, bringing our airplane here has been one amazing experience, um, and uh, and we're only halfway through. Well, I wish you all the best, and and we actually always end
2: with one question, and since you're both pilots, I'll ask both of you: if you could fly any airplane in the world, current, past, future, and money was no object, other than your beautiful Comanche, because I did take a look at it; it's beautiful what airplane would that be
6: (laughs) Um, i think here at oshkosh i've actually fallen in love with the spartan executive and i think i wouldn't mind giving that one a go Yeah. yeah
7: and me i couldn't go past a mustang (laughs) <laughs> have to have it to match my motor car. Well, I think you guys should pass out your cards and your bro- your
2: little brochure over there in the vintage and warbirds area, and you may you may get the chance before you take off on Thursday, right? Yeah.
7: Oh, <laughs> and thank you very much for your uh, time, and um, we look forward to perhaps meeting up again in the future. But if you ever come down under, do come and see us.
2: I absolutely will. I have your contact information, and and you're leaving here Thursday. Thursday. So uh, if anybody is listening over in in Europe and anywhere on that route that they mentioned, you know, look them up on their website, which I saw, and you can actually, what's the website
6: again? Bazflyer.com. And
2: that's Baz, uh, Bravo, Alpha, Zulu, uh, Flyer.com. And you can follow their progress. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much.
7: Thank you very much. Pleasure.
2: That
0: was amazing. Fifty yeah. years of flying I know. that he'd done. Crazy, that, isn't it? that was crazy. All those years of flying. I tell you, that's why it's the safest way to travel. It is, you know, yeah. it is. But yeah. no, it what an amazing couple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and do, doing a very cool thing
1: I together, know. which is even nicer.
0: I know. I'm just looking actually on their uh, website at the moment while we're uh, on the thing on the uh, the Baz flyer, and uh, just looking on there. They've got a website. It's. Uh, uh, around the world, tw- uh, 2019.com, and uh, the actual f- the homepage has got a lovely photo of uh, Zulu, Kilo, uh, Bravo, Alpha, Zulu. Flying over the sea, uh, which Matt has just put up on the screen. That's very good of you, Matt. <laughs> He's on the ball, this boy, <laughs> I tell you. But uh, yeah, you can actually, there's a link on their website. You can click on tracker and you can actually uh, track the progress uh, when they're actually flying, which is absolutely fantastic as well. So, um, no, thanks very much for that, uh, Armando. Very much appreciated as well. We uh, enjoyed that as well, did the chat room. So don't forget, uh, as well, we've got loads more coming up from Armando from Osh uh, in future episodes. One of those being uh, an uh, interview that uh, Armando done this week with Tammy Joe Schultz. You're who, very um, excited about that, aren't you? Yeah, who uh, you'll remember was uh, the pilot on uh, the Southwest Airlines uh, flight that had uh, the uncontained engine failure. I think it was, was it last year that happened. Mm-hmm. I I think
1: it was Actually, Neil said in the chat, I wonder where they're coming in the UK. It'd be great to see them. They won't be coming to Norwich. <laughs> no, oh, <Aww, laughs> what a shame! What a shame! He's on the I coast. Know. <laughs> I know. That would be nice, though. It would, yes, absolutely. Uh, so but
0: uh, but yeah, we've got lo- loads of content coming yeah, up. Uh, there's uh, an interview that I done at uh, the Bristol Aviation Museum yes, a few weeks yep. ago. That's coming up as well in future episodes. So we've got tons of content to bring yes, you absolutely. over the coming months. And not forgetting as well, we will be at uh, the Biggin Hill Festival of Flight as well on saturday the 17th of august mm. so if any of our listeners in the uk or or across the globe who are in the uk uh, want to come and join us there uh, we'll be there Uh, in our full uh, PTUK shirts and
1: uh, I think if the weather's like this we won't be wearing ties or no no I don't think so I think we're just open neck shirts open neck shirts yeah I tell you what a lot of (laughs) love in the chat room here again Masha is uh, the lovely Masha is saying what an amazing couple Um, yeah (laughs) Chris Griggs says they're not coming to Norwich due to their landing fees <laughs> and uh, yes, obviously, as you probably noticed, uh, Max has had to go. He had to sort of disappear, unfortunately. We've yes. taken up far too much of his time.
0: Max has he's had to yeah. go off and fly a Cirrus. Yeah, yeah, literally, because um, he's got a lesson book. Terrible. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to say a quick thanks as well to Max Trascott for joining us on the show yep. this week. Don't forget, you can find him over at the Aviation News Talk podcast, which he yep. does himself, and also on the
1: Airplane Geeks podcast, so find him on there Indeed. as a regular if you, host. If you want to get in touch with the show, it is via the website, www.planetalkinguk.com. Uh, you'll find us on social media by searching for... Plane meads. Talking. Pardon? Social Sochmedes. It's what Dr. Steph would say is it mm. okay? I'm sorry, we speak English here, though. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> so, so if you'd like offended. to find us on social media, search on your chosen platform for Plain Talk. Platform, platform. Plane Talking, Are you doing UK. your acrobatics again, <laughs> and our email address is podcast <laughs> at <laughs> PlainTalkingUK.com. Uh, it's no wonder I'm going slightly this, is it? Yes. And, and also, yeah. <laughs>
0: don't forget, we've got lots of shiny new, beautiful. 100% cotton mm. T-shirts. Yeah, uh, in the PTUK store. So take yourselves over to the website and yeah. uh, click on
1: store and grab yourself a PTUK t-shirt for this amazing air show season. Indeed. Thank you very much also to our wonderful chat room as always, uh, especially Tony, actually, who's been on fire. Tony, great, yes, has been on fire. Great questions this week, yeah. which, is, which is great. So thank you to everyone, and Neil and Chris and everyone who... And look, got, look uh, who was in the chat room as well this oh, week. Sir Rick Bell. Sir Rick of Bell, yes, absolutely. That is where we bring episode number 279 to a close? Is it 279, isn't it? Have you nodded off there, Carlos? Sorry. So I'm just rea- I'm reading the chat room. <laughs> yeah, don't yes, do that. That is yeah. all we have time for this week on
0: episode number 279. But don't forget, join us next week for 280 of oh, the show, dear. where hopefully Nev and Amanda will be back in the hot seats with us. So, uh, well, from me, Carlos here in the YouTube. Well, in the uh, PTK it's a, it's a studios, world, yeah, oh, God, it's too hot in here. It, I, I, Thanks everyone <laughs> who's joined us in the YouTube world, and have a great weekend. And uh, yeah, that's it then, Matt. Just me and you to say goodbye. It
1: is, isn't it? Yeah. Shall I find? Shall I find the escape button? Find shall the I escape do that? button. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Is it Control Alt Delete? Yeah, Control Alt Delete. That's yeah. the one. Uh, everybody, we'll see you next week. Take, Take care, everyone. Bye
4: bye. <laughs>